Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this episode. In the red corner, Robin Williams, Dustin Hoffman, Julia Roberts, along with a whole swarm of child actors, and I'm using actors in the loosest possible sense, get together with Steven Spielberg to find out how many bright colours is too many bright colours in 1991's Hook. I hate, I hate, I hate Peter Pan. The stories are true. He's come back to seek his revenge. Only you can save your children. You must make yourself remember. Remember what? Peter, don't you know who you are? Have to fly. Have to fight. Have to crow. Have to save Maggie. Have to save Jack. While in the blue corner, Robin Williams has the monopoly on board game adventure films with this risky venture that sees him scrabble about in New England, being chased in a not-so-trivial pursuit by some hungry hippos. Where do they come up with this stuff? The mind boggles. From 1995, it's Jumanji. Every house has secrets. Everybody in town thinks the place is haunted. But what happened in this house? Little Alan Parrish. He just vanished about uh, 25 years ago. It's a mystery that began a long time ago when Alan Parrish was just a young boy who made an incredible discovery. Jumanji. You want to play? Alan, look. In the jungle, you must wait. Until the dice read five or eight. What's happening to you? So what connects these two movies and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Potters. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. Hook 
versus Jumanji. Christopher Tilly, these were your choices. They were. How did you feel about them? Uh, there's a lot I'd forgotten. Okay. Um, I'll just say this. For better or worse. Uh, slutty mermaids. <laughs> That's what I'd forgotten. We will be but getting we'll, to them. I'm sure we'll get to that. <laughs> slutty mermaids, I think we're done uh, for the week. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Uh, open big. Any idea what the connection is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you ready? <laughs> okay. I got some oh. too. <laughs> um, the baddies end up covered in paint. No, but I like it. Thanks. Uh, both movies in which Robin Williams wears a short skirt and bits of tree. <laughs> I did notice that. Yep, yep. It's funny, isn't it, when there's more and more connections become apparent that you're not expecting from yeah. two half barely connected films. Vicky. In, in both films, the parents of the children just bugger off for a fancy schmancy night out, leaving their kids alone or mm. with someone who's got a troubling psychosis. Or mm. they died in a car crash when skiing in Canada, which... <laughs> yeah. I don't it's not know. The you, same thing. you can't call that buggering off. They buggered off to death. I have both films are about daddy issues. Definitely. Again, I wasn't. I hadn't sort of pieced that together till I rewatched them. How about this one? Both films bewilderingly and unnecessarily have a character that breaks the fourth wall at the strangest of moments. <laughs> mm. Agreed. <laughs> No, but we'll get to that. Uh, last one. Robin Williams shouts at kids. <laughs> you, you, you say last one. I think I actually have one. Both films are about the boy who never grew up as a grown-up. Peter Pan, obviously, uh, is the boy who never grew up. And Alan Parrish goes into a game as a child, spends 26 years alone in there before coming out a man who's actually still a kid. So yep. he's the boy who never grew up. Yep. Uh, well, it was Robin, when I picked them, they were Robin Williams' man-child movies. Okay. But you're absolutely right. I wrote down, Hook, it's a man who's forgotten he's a child. It's a Jumanji. It's a man who thinks he's a child. So, yeah, there are, there are, there are a lot of parallels. Yeah, I don't think you can just have Robin Williams' man-child movies because that's a lot of Robin Williams' movies. It is a few. Uh, sentimental man-child movies, there's yeah. a long list of them. Yeah. But I thought these were two that had enough parallels that we can pit them against each other. It's weird that you didn't think they had that much in common because although actually saying that, saying that hindsight's twenty twenty, I didn't think they had that much in common. But by the end, you're going, there's a hell of a lot that these films are comparable to, even behind the scenes in terms of di director Steven Spielberg and um, Joe Johnson. Mm. So we'll get into all that. We'll get into all that. Yeah. So who did I give Hook to? I actually can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> No, uh, you did. You gave it to me. <laughs> Alex got two hours and 21 minutes of hook. <laughs> oh, okay. So anyway, look, um, I've decided that I like it on the show when we keep our cards close to our chest um, and don't set out a stall on how we feel about these movies too early. Yeah, that, I mean, that was the idea from the beginning. Yep. Great, 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 great. So I'm going to try not to give anything away <laughs> about how I feel about this movie in my intro, which begins now. Do you like movies that make huge assumptions about an audience's familiarity with the source material? Do you like sequels that don't have a first instalment? Have you ever wondered what it be would <laughs> Have you ever wondered what it would be like if the Back to the Future series had started with part 2? Or perhaps you just like movies about Peter Pan in which Peter Pan doesn't appear for well over an hour. Have you ever wanted to see a film that looks like if a toddler threw up a box of crayons? Welcome to the day-glow nightmare that is Steven Spielberg's worst film, <laughs> Hook. 
Wow, worst film. So how do I feel about it? <laughs> Jeopardy, mystery. Wish you wouldn't sit on the fence like that. It's time to tell you at last. How far back can you remember, Peter? Remember what? Peter, don't you know who you are? Only you can save your children. You must make yourself remember. Remember what? Uh, that is an excellent intro. So what's your um, history with this film, you two? Did you, like me, see it at the cinema and was it a big deal? Yeah, I went to see it at the cinema and it was a really big deal. Mm. And then I saw it again as a teenager and I still loved it. And then I watched it again and I was very surprised at how long it is. Um, I say surprised, I was angry. Right. Alex? Yeah, I didn't see it at the cinema, uh, but not? I'm not oh. having that as this reason that people have where they're like, oh, well, if you didn't see it as a kid, you don't really have that attachment to it. I think I would have felt the same as a kid. I watched it when I was young, maybe not at the cinema, but I saw it when I was very young and I don't remember any of it. And I'm glad that I think my brain has some kind of self-preservation mechanism that it just ejects awful things. Mm -hmm. You must have seen it when you were the same age as me then, because I saw it at the cinema and I was 13 when it came out. Yeah. You would have been 12, so you would have been 13 when you saw it. Yeah, probably. it wasn't long after the yeah, cinema yeah. release. Yeah. But it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, it's my worst movie that I've watched in a very, very long time. That is saying something. I isn't hated it? it. My notes start off fairly good, as the movie does, in fairness. And by the end, I am just scrolling dull, 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 dull over and over again. It's a soul-crushing experience watching this film. So, does he like it, though? <laughs> Jeopardy. Mystery. Should we talk about Peter Pan instead? Should we do the old oh, Disney film? Let's, shall we get into it? <laughs> seeing as this is my movie, we might as well get into, um, you know, Peter Pan. Because this mm. all came about because Steven Spielberg was going to direct a Peter Pan movie. Following the Peter Pan story based on Jan Barry's novel peter and wendy it was in the 80s it was all getting set up and then he walked away he didn't want to make it anymore and this script then metamorphosized into hook at the hands of writer uh j w james v hart sorry james v hart was the writer and a, a fact that is better than the movie itself he came up with the idea for hook with nick castle the guy who plays michael myers in halloween that's a great fact Although disappointing, Michael. Um, and so he walked away and then it metamorphosized into this thing. Nick Castle was going to direct it. And then Robin Williams and Dustin Hoffman, they didn't see eye to eye with Nick Castle. He was ejected, got a $500,000 payout because he wasn't directing it anymore. And he told he was, he was told he was. And then Steven Spielberg comes in and then they spend $70 million, one of the five most expensive movies of all time, a piece of shit. <laughs> Can I go one step back though? Sure. Because before, um, before Robin Williams was playing Peter Pan, there was someone else in the frame, and I have a quote from um, Steven Spielberg speaking to Entertainment Weekly. 
He says, Michael had always wanted to play Peter Pan, but I called Michael and I said, this is about a lawyer that is brought back to save his kids and discovers that he was once Peter Pan when he was younger. Michael understood at that point that it wasn't the same Peter Pan he wanted to make. Do you yes. know which Michael we're talking about? Are you talking about Michael Jackson? Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yep. Yep. That would have been a treat, wouldn't it? Yes. But I'm actually going to go... I'm, Michael Jackson was right. Right. <laughs> For once in his life. He, I mean... Well, musically, he was right. I love... I would love to have been a fly on the wall for that phone call <laughs> if, like, Stephen Spielberg going, so uh, Peter Pan is old. Now he's an adult. He's an adult. He's a miserable adult. And Michael Jackson went, sounds like a shit idea. <laughs> I mean, really, really shit. Make Peter Pan, Peter. Peter Pan, Simon. Simon. <laughs> Stephen. I can't do impressions and remember names. <laughs> I like the way you added remember names. <laughs> Can't do impressions. Um, so, yeah, I think that we all dodged a bullet there. No, that would have been a better film. Hands down. We would be watching that now as a cult classic in the same way like, wow, can you believe they made this? At least it would have made its mark on cinema history as opposed to this, which is just boring. And Jimmy Jimmy Savile could have played Captain Hook. <laughs> hey, no, that's different and unacceptable. Are you looking at me? <laughs> All the, I was looking at you for backup. I got not. Sorry, you say, sorry. Dare I say it? Jimmy Savile probably, had he not done all those horrible things, would have made a good Captain Hook. But he <laughs> did, right. so he's not. I'm checking the time code so we can snip that out. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah, Michael Jackson. Uh, at that point uh, as well, uh, there was a discussion about it being a musical uh, film, uh, which didn't happen. Well, it kind of did. We do get one song. Two songs. Two songs. Yeah. Blooming it. Thank you. Yeah, they managed to cram two into the two <laughs> hours and 21 minutes. Amazing that they found the time. <laughs> but James V. Hart, uh, who is the uh, main credited writer on this, um, apparently, which I don't, I don't know whether I believe or not, it was his son who went, Dad, what if um, Peter Pan, uh, in Peter Pan, when Captain Hook gets eaten by the crocodile, he doesn't get eaten and he's alive and it was all a trick. And he's like, brilliant, son. I'm going to turn that into a $70 million movie. Not pay you anything. Eat your Brussels sprouts. (laughs) On on the behind the scenes documentary, they bring his son onto set to tell that story sitting next to his dad to prove that it really happens. Does he look like he's being forced to tell it? (laughs) There is a gun to his head. Yeah, obviously. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that fires paint or soup or (laughs) some crap. Um, yeah, but James V. Hart has actually worked on, uh, he's got, a, let's call it a, a checkered history. He did the, he's got some bad, which is he did the story for Tomb Raider 2, The Cradle of Life. He's got some uh, good, he did the script for Contact, and he's got some amazing because he wrote 2005's Matthew McConaughey action romp, Sahara. <laughs> oh, right. So he's all right by you. Fine by me, yeah. I actually started to try and reappraise Hook, impossible. So, yeah, then it gets made and there is a lot, or at least it goes into production and it's a TriStar and they think this is going to be a cash cow. They think this is going to do ET level numbers. Uh, I can remember the hype. You know, I actually had the poster on my wall like nine months before the film came out. It was just the hook with the date. And this is one of the first really hugely hyped films that I can remember. It just, it just, and it just seemed like it was gonna, it couldn't lose with those ingredients. Well, yes, yes, no, you're right. Weirdly, I watched the trailer in preparation for watching the movie to try and get back into what it might have Mm. been like to have seen the trailer first. The early teaser where it didn't show much or the. It was the one, good question. It was the one that was two minutes long 
and it didn't show a single frame of Neverland. It's yeah. all set beforehand uh, with old Mayor Dame Maggie Smith, uh, all set in her house. It's a good teaser. I I was yeah. I watched that, so you can imagine how much more crushing my disappointment was watching the film because that teaser's great. It's got that Spielberg magic to it, mm. hasn't it? Yes, yeah. that, that that somehow just dissipates from the. And it's about the right length for the amount of exposition that should be done before they get to Neverland. <laughs> Two minutes will do. Not 35 minutes, which is how long it takes Peter to get to Neverland. I mean, granted that 35 minutes is the best bit of the film, but it's a long wait. I do find myself timing these things. Now. I've got 35 minutes Neverland as well because yep. it's, it's a strange choice. It's a strange decision. Um, Stephen decided that he was going to shoot it all on sound stages at Sony Picture Studios in Culver City, California. And you can tell. I mean... It's a, it's a disastrous decision, isn't it? It is... It's one of the ugliest films I've seen. It feels claustrophobic, and yet it's meant to be set on the seven seas. Mm. Like, the ship is meant to be in port, but it feels like it's inside. I I, I so don't know. Not on purpose. I don't know why they built sets on a soundstage. They could have just gone to Disneyland. It's Swiss Family Robinson and it's Pirates of the Caribbean. Just go from yeah. ride to ride. I wondered if it's because theme parks have got so much better in the last twenty years, thirty years, yeah, thirty decades years. that you see it now and you think that looks a lot like Alton Towers, but not better than Alton Towers, <laughs> and it should be better. <laughs> well, you. I was watching, I got carried away uh, with anything else that I could watch as opposed to Hook. I had to keep taking breaks. Um, and the visual consultant on this, and this is how I got into this, was a guy called John Napier. And Spielberg brought him on because he was impressed with his work on the Broadway version of Cats. Um, the spectre of Cats looms large over cinema these days. <laughs> but he, um, he also designed something called Captain EO. Are you aware of this? I'm very aware. I had a Captain EO poster on my wall next to my Hook poster. You had such a big bedroom. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure every show you have a poster on your wall. I don't think I had an inch of spare space. I was a poster geek. But Captain EO was a special one. In fact, I think I still have a slightly ripped version of that poster because it's such a weird thing that it even existed. What is it? Yeah, good question. It is uh, a 3D science fiction film that was shown exclusively at Disneyland. Um, I think it was Epcot Center. It was um, the early, well, it's, uh, it was the early uh, iteration of 3D. So it looks terrible now, okay. but it's still worth watching. It is on YouTube. It stars Michael Jackson and a load of really cheap puppets mm. on a starship going round space doing stuff. Here's why it's interesting. It uh, was written by George Lucas and directed by Francis Ford Coppola. All right. And it was so it's shown, all right then. It's all right. And Angelica yeah. Houston's the villain, yeah. I remember. And yeah. there's quite a good dance number at the end, but... Mm. Put it like this. It's better than Hook. So, but you could only see it if you went to Disneyland. Yes. Oh. And it, it, was, it, wasn't, it was only like 20 minutes long. You fancy pants, eh? Mm. Jetting off to Disneyland to watch your exclusive screenings. Put the poster. 1987. <laughs> oh, you actually saw it at Disneyland? Yeah, 1987. When wow. I was with my phone. Was the 3D impressive? It was, it was. I'll be honest, it was quite impressive. But it was. It was when there was a bit of a 3D moment happening in the mid-80s with, with Jaws and there were some animated films. Right, so I remember Jaws. And it, and it was a purpose-built cinema that you watched it in. So mm. the 3D was better than the glasses at your average, you know, local you mean glass plucks at the time. It was better than the moment in Jaws 3D where the shark explodes and the Jaws head towards the screen and then pause momentarily in front of the camera before carrying on their journey. Or the arm. <laughs> The arm just floating oh, yeah. there. 
I was it better it. than uh, Cinema 2000? Do you remember that? If you ever went to, um, so let's say, a theme park at the cheaper end of the scale, you'd all stand in a cold room with a curved wall and they'd mm. project going down a roller coaster and you and your whole family just stood there <laughs> holding onto a rail because <laughs> you fell backwards because it was so dazzling. My favourite film of the 80s. <laughs> um, right, before we get into the movie itself... Um, I think it is worth pointing out that if you didn't like Hook uh, as much as I didn't like Hook, fear not, (laughs) we are not alone because there's another person who doesn't like Hook and that person, uh, let me just read this name so I get it right, is Steven Spielberg. (laughs) Steven Spielberg, not a fan of Hook. There's a few different interviews uh, he did uh, about Hook. Um, He said, there are parts of Hook I love. This was in 2011. There are parts of Hook I love really proud of my work, right up through Peter being hauled off in the parachute out of the window, heading for Neverland. Couldn't agree more, Stephen. I'm a little less proud of the Neverland sequences because I'm uncomfortable with that highly stylized world that today, of course, I probably wouldn't have done with live-action character work inside a... I probably would have done with live-action character work in a completely digital set, which I find even more depressing. I'm like, do it on location! Like, don't digitise it. Don't mm. Anyway, and then uh, later on in 2018, so only going back a, a couple of years, he said, I felt like a fish out of water making Hook. I didn't have confidence in the script because it came from the mind of a child. I had confidence in the first act and I had confidence in the epilogue. I didn't have confidence in the body of it. Like, like most of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He said, I didn't quite know what I was doing and I tried to paint over my insecurity with production value, admitting... The more insecure I felt about it, the bigger and more colourful the sets became. So Steven Spielberg, not a fan not of Hook. Not a fan. I think there's another quote where he does say he wants to rewatch it at some point uh, in the hope. We should have got him on. <laughs> he does say this, sorry. He does say, um, I want to see Hook again. I still don't like that movie. I'm hoping someday I'll see it and perhaps like some of it. Wow. Yeah. So... That's the background uh, to so many people's childhood favourite hook. Shall we talk about the movie? Yes, let's. Okay, great. Uh, We are going to talk about the sixth highest grossing pirate movie in the history of cinema. Would anyone like to hazard a guess at the other five? (laughs) Pirates of the Caribbean. One, two, three, four. Am I wrong? It's absolutely right. It's the right answer. Pirates of the Caribbean, one through five. Uh, okay. How did you find the beginning, Victoria? Well, Robin Williams is a bad dad and he misses his kid's baseball game, but that's probably for the best because his kid is shit at baseball, so it's fine. Yeah, and also you can't blame the like him not turning up on the kid missing that pitch because the what, no. m- the mum establishes it. Go, oh, don't let it be a curveball. He can't hit them. Can't hit them. It's always going to be a curveball. The nature of the game, I believe. I felt like about 50% of the kids' live action movies in the 80s were about a dad missing his son's baseball game. Yeah, it like, must have happened to like four writers. Yeah. And yeah. Now, <laughs> that's it. You, I've, I don't know anything about baseball, but I know that my dad probably didn't turn up to my baseball game at some point in my <laughs> well, life. Well, Spielberg had, had a lot of daddy issues. Him and his dad did not get on. Okay. So it, that's why it's so obviously a part of so many of his films. And, mm. 
And, you know, he did. they do talk about Spielberg having that Peter Pan complex, and it was a big part of E.T. was the, the Peter Pan story. Yeah, so. well, he actually says himself, like, the genesis of the film, and this was when he was doing Peter Pan, started for him uh, when his mother often read him Peter and Wendy as a bedtime story. He said, when I was 11 years old, I actually directed the story during a school production. I've always felt like Peter Pan. I still feel like Peter Pan. It's been very hard for me to grow up. I am a victim of the Peter Pan syndrome. Mm, maybe we should have just watched that stage version. That might have been more. Yeah. Or enjoyable. the Jason Isaacs 2000. And yeah, I love that. yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, he's a he's a corporate pirate now. He's a corporate pirate. That was clever. Um, and he's afraid of heights and afraid of flying. Yeah. Um, Is there a bit where Maggie Smith, when you meet her and she's dressed like an Edwardian, even though it's 1995, mm. she stands at the top of the stairs. Does she say, I wanted to rewind it, but I couldn't be bothered. Does she say, hello, boys. And is that the weirdest, most upsetting <laughs> no. thing you've ever heard? No, I've got the opposite. That's one of the few scenes where I got goosebumps. Um, I, every scene that Maggie Smith is in, bar one. Bar, oh, my God. Yeah. Is it when she tries to get off with Robin Williams? <laughs> <laughs> I could have, I definitely scotched that from my memory. I just, it seems unnecessary that she reminds him. She basically goes, you used to read. Me and you were a thing, yeah. kind of. You used to be into me. It was me who said no, but oh, I'm changing my mind and right now. And it was like this, and then lean. <laughs> oh, no. But that scene aside, the minute he walks in and she goes, hello, boy. It's, singular. Oh, it's singular. Singular. Fine. Yeah. I was like, it's the 90s, Wonder Bras. I just couldn't. Do you, do you know why you like that? Go on. Because you're the boy who wouldn't grow up. <laughs> I have been accused of having the Peter Pan syndrome before, um, uh, which really should... That's why I said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was concurring, and uh, I, sadly, I still couldn't find anything to love in this film. Um, I liked all the mentions of Great Ormond Street early on in proceedings. Sure, which got me researching copyright law this <laughs> they, week. They, yeah, they made lots of money from it. Uh, it's really interesting, though, what where it all sits because famously, J. M. Barry um, donated the copyright of Peter Pan to Great Ormond Street. But there's been all kinds of um, legal issues the last 20 years because it's kind of come out come of out copyright. Of and yeah. so, but people want it to, to actually remain. And so the story is we've actually changed the law in the UK. So in the UK, they retain the rights in perpetuity. Lord mm -hmm. Callaghan made that happen, which I think is really a beautiful thing. But it's in the public domain in Europe. In America, the novel in, is in the public domain, but the play is in copyright until 2023. So that's where it sits. I see. It's a nice moment at the Great Ormond Street Benefit Gala, the moment where everyone stands up. Oh, that is a good moment. I think that's the most genuinely moving mm. part of this film that does, it is a sentimental movie that tries to pluck on your heartstrings, but that's the only moment that actually f f is real. It's a real yeah. I am Spartacus yeah. <laughs> moment where everyone stands up. But again, like so many beats in this movie, you get that great moment that is then completely undermined by a superfluous line, which is where they all stand up and Robin Williams is there and he says, oh, like he's surprised. He goes, oh, I guess we all do have something in common. And you're like, you're an orphan. You're at a benefits dinner for an orphanage who's just given a speech about being an orphan to a bunch of orphans. Yeah, you've got something in common. We get that. You don't need to go, oh, epiphany. I missed it because I'd forgotten the exposition and I thought he'd had children with his sister. So I couldn't, because his wife, she was different like... Different film. We, Very <laughs> different film. We grew up... Remember, Peter, we had so much fun in these rooms. I was like, oh, because you grew up together, mm -hmm. but now you've got babies. No, yeah, I see what you mean. I did write down, 
odd romantic couplings throughout this film. Yeah. There's a bit where it seems that Maggie Smith offers up her granddaughter oh to... Oh, my God, that's so bad. He's boy like, Peter. I'll give her a kiss. Peter, she's asleep <laughs> and she's 13. So two reasons that you shouldn't be over there. Well, that, that, you know... that. You're getting there already, but, you know, there is the, this very strange love triangle between Peter, grandmother and granddaughter. Oh, and, and throw then in, you've got throw in Tinkerbell. Tinkerbell. Oh, my, I'm always so embarrassed with Tinkerbell. In these stories, it's like, babe, he is not into you <laughs> and you just need to walk away. You've got enough going on. All that said, though, this first 35 minutes set in London is the best bit of the film. The bit where Hook turns up uh, to kidnap the children and it starts as Toodles, who's there, the, the lost boy who's grown old, who lives with Wendy. And the dog starts Nanny. Is it Nanny the dog? starts Nana, Nana sorry. Yeah. Who starts barking. And it's like, woof, hook, hook. Oh, yeah. And it's like the bark becomes hook. And then the glowing outside the doors of the bedroom is so Spielberg, so close encounters of the third kind. And that's great. Mm, and it then, feels like poltergeist almost. Yeah. yeah. And, and Which even is the, Spielberg as well. Even the clasp on the window is the hook of hook. Yeah, that's that opens. Cool. It's that's like nice. really clever little little touches. That's nice, and it's really menacing when they arrive home and there's the scratch, the tear running up the mm-hmm. length of the hallway, and they meet Liza, and she's like, "The children were screaming, they were screaming, and I did fucking nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't have had that drink." <laughs> that's another thing. They're strangely inactive. For Your children have definitely been kidnapped because there's a huge scratch up the wall. So they haven't gone for a walk. They just sort of sit about and don't do anything. Would you not be combing the streets looking for your children? No? I'm, I, well, not when Phil Collins is on the case. Oh, no. shit, of course. <laughs> Bloke from Genesis will sort it. <laughs> or he'll just completely distract you and take you out of the movie. I, I know. He... Even, I'd so forgotten. And I was like, is that Phil Collins? <laughs> and I know his acting career was kind of... You know, he was making quite a few movies at the time, and Buster, Buster had been Buster, quite yeah. quite a big hit. Yeah. Um, but it's still he's not the he's not the best in this, and I've just f- found it completely took me out of the really? film. Really, yeah. I actually wrote great cameo. I thought he was great. I liked his Fair little enough. sort of anal line. Well, okay, what we'll do with that? I thought cool, good on you. It, I didn't feel like a stretch for him. <laughs> so yeah, and then then you sort of think. Oh, sorry. Then we get the creepy scene that we talked about mm-hmm. where she's like, oh, you wanted me, you dirty little boy. And, and she's filled her house with pictures of him. Mm. Um, but let's not... T- I don't want to I don't want to detract from Maggie Smith because she is so good in this yeah. and actually makes you feel things for this film other than annoyance. Um, then, even before we get to Neverland, then Tinkerbell turns up and we get that prolonged scene with the house where he's like I don't believe in fairies oh you killed me no you haven't whatever it's like get on with it get to Neverland come on Mm. I mean I've just written cut 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 that in (laughs) half cut the Tinkerbell scene in half and then obviously eventually he floats off in his parachute wrapped in his parachute we see a couple kissing on the bridge who get sprinkled with fairy dust who trivia fans will know are Carrie Fisher and George Lucas um, because why not uh, Carrie Fisher was probably hanging around doing rewrites. She did a lot of rewrite work on this. Still didn't like it though, and took another rewrite job to get off. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, we get to the hideousness that is Neverland. First impressions of Neverland. Doesn't look real. Doesn't look real. It's exactly what Vicky said. I had the word claustrophobic written down. It feels like they're all on top of it. It just doesn't look like fun. It's, it looks like they tried to go for that kind of, I don't know, the, the majesty of the Goonies when they, they show up and find the boat, and it's just got none of that. 
Um, it's hard to put my finger on why. You were saying it's very colourful. I thought there was there was some drabness to it as well. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I don't know. It's... I thought it was garish, garishly colourful. Uh, the only thing I like about the whole of Neverland is the fact that it has a giant rock formation that looks like a compass under the sea. I quite like yes. that. That was quite a nice I thought touch. you were going to say you liked the skate ramp. Um, but no, obviously I don't know yeah, it at all. No, that was not the case. The Lost <laughs> Boys playing basketball and skateboarding yeah. made a few years later. It'd be parkour they were doing. Uh, please. And the kids, the kids themselves, the Lost Boys, I found them too obnoxious. Can, now, we, can we call them the puling spawn? Because okay. <laughs> there's a line, although Hook is talking about his pirate companions, he goes, the puling spawn, how I despise them. Which is actually, I was like, the puling spawn, that's got to have come from somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's a line from the original play uh, where Hook is actually talking to the Lost Boys he's kidnapped. And he goes, back, you puling spawn. I'll show you uh, the road to a dusty death, a holocaust of children. There is something grand in that idea. Wow. wow. Yeah. But going back to the original text, um, Peter is a bit of an asshole. He's... He's kind of boastful. He's he's brave, but he's selfish. He's he's a cocky twelve year old basically. But I I, just, I think all these kids are brats. I think you've got too much of that going on in this film. And I I always these days I always think of Stranger Things to how you write and cast a group of children mm. like that mm. that are just genuinely likable. They can be brash and immature, but you still genuinely like them. Whereas this lot, I, even at you know, I was thirteen, I was the same age as them when I watched it. I was like. I, I want these kids to get off my screen. You think they didn't deserve love, basically. <laughs> no. Yeah. It's, um, it's strange. And to go back to your example of the Goonies, how does someone like Steven Spielberg, who, you know, was basically, you know, co-directed the Goonies, and some people's opinion, I think Sean Astin said him and Richard Donner were basically co-directors on it, and having such great child actors and knowing how to get the best of them and that feel of those characters and go to this and just like... Just monstrous, like things, like caricatures that, like you, like are there just to serve, like a purpose. And yeah, and maybe they are a purpose. I mean, there's nothing, you know. Literally, every line they deliver is to sort of move their character for. I'm the guy who believes in Peter. I'm the guy. All of that. And and maybe if you led left a bunch of kids to their own devices for hundreds of years, they would behave like this. But I felt like too much of the dialogue was was bullying and quite mean-spirited quite cruel which again makes you not want to spend time with these kids if they're you know making fun of the kid who's overweight or making fun of the, the smallest one or yeah but then steven spielberg turns that bigger kid into a ball at the end so oh well i mean that's i'm saving that moment for my uh <laughs> my bits because that's uh yeah i mean we can talk about it now because i've got other bits but what a random piece of body horror <laughs> to put in a children's movie. It's so bad. When uh, the character is called Thud Butt and he becomes a thud ball Mm. and it pulls out and he's just this amorphous sort of thing where his legs are wrapped around his shoulders. It's like the thing. Yeah, and he does it more than once. So you would have thought he did it once, (laughs) watched it back and gone, but we've spent the money now, so let's just leave it in there, but let's not do that again. But you're talking about the same bloke that made Chunk do the truffle shuffle. Maybe there is an underlying theme here uh, right. of, of cruelty. Well, I think that was... Uh, things like that were more prevalent. My problem isn't that so much... Are you going to say it's a different time, Alex? I wasn't, no. I'm, <laughs> I think on Quick this... look over to me just to check. <laughs> on <that> this... <laughs> Always. On this podcast, we have found different ways to say the same thing. 
<laughs> but no, it's more just how uh, grotesque a creation the thud ball is physically, as opposed to the fact that it's played by, you know, a, a, a rotund child actor. And yet it did look kind of funny and cool. No. Nope. No, it didn't. <laughs> no, it was like a garbage pail kid thing. Yeah. It was awful. Yep. Future podcast film. Also, where would his penis have been? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> no longer looking to you to test oh, Wow. <laughs> and I thought Jimmy Savile was bad. <laughs> oh. Um, yeah. Uh, the score's quite good. It's the Harry Potter score. It is, he's ripped yeah. himself off. Yeah. John Williams going, well, no one actually saw No one saw but, that, and yeah. it is good. Yeah. It actually did all right. I, it it was it made about three hundred million on a seventy million dollar budget. But um, if uh, it was like I said at the start, one of the most expensive, one of the five most expensive movies of all time, and it was only because Terminator Two was the first hundred million dollar movie budget wise that year that no one really talked about. What a waste of money this was. <laughs> so yeah, um, the Lost Boys. We need to mention. Uh, Rufio, Rufio, <laughs> Rufio, because somehow uh, he has become the figurehead yeah. of this uh, movie and this tribe of Lost Boys. Yeah, mm-hmm. because People he's the only them. one brave enough to wear um, a cropped shirt. <laughs> and that's what it takes. This is a different time. Um, <laughs> he, no, he does look kind of cool. Of course he does. Yeah, he's kind of rock and roll, the way, the way he dresses with the hair and the way he shows up on his mechanical skateboard thing. Like, yeah. And he, you know, I, as as far as I know from people I spoke to, he was quite the heartthrob as well to sort of girls my age at the okay. time, and and has remained that. Mm. I know people that are still madly in love with Rufio, <laughs> yeah. Dante Busco. Mm. Busco is his name. Uh, and if, for anyone who is in love with the character Rufio, uh, you can watch uh, the Hook prequel, uh, Bangarang, which oh. uh, Dante Busco uh, executive produced uh, and has a small role in. Uh, Have you watched it? I did, yeah. I watched it in preparation for this. How was it? Because you know what? I read that they, he was trying to crowdsource it. I didn't know it got done. He did. He um, Alex he, paid for it. Uh, <laughs> I was like, I was like, there's more in the tank here. <laughs> this story doesn't end with Hook. Go back. I want to know where Rufio began. He got sixty, just over sixty thousand dollars, and he asked for, I think, in the region of thirty thousand to make a short film, two hundred thousand to make a feature. Uh, it's 17 minutes long and yeah. So it doesn't qualify for a short film too long. <laughs> doesn't make it onto the circuit as a feature. That's an error. Better or worse than Hook. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it shows its budget. Yeah. Um, but there's a bit at the end where it sort of ties into Hook, where he holds a sword in the air like they do in the film. And I'm yeah. like, oh yeah, all right, that's okay. quite good. But it's it's much more about it's a, about a drama about a kid who's been bullied and it's 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 set in the real world. It's not set in the whole right. universe. So, yeah, but it's worth a watch if you are a uh, a Rufio fan. If there is such a thing, <laughs> there is. I know. But when I say fan, I mean so much of a fan. You go, God, what shall I watch tonight? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's become the figurehead for this film in real life as well. Genuinely, like Rufio fans are the one that have kept this film alive. Yeah. Idiot. <laughs> I mean, we've we've come quite a long way, and we've we've barely mentioned the title character of the film, Dustin Hoffman, which I think is an well, no, Captain Hook. <laughs> All right, played by Dustin Hoffman, um, which is you know a weird thing about this film. Maybe it would have been a better film if it had been the Captain Hook and Smee story, mm-hmm. because that's the title of the film. But it's it's the Peter Pan story, and we come a long way before we we really spend much time with him. It's very disappointing that. So much time, for example, is spent on that awful action sequence where Peter is being chased by the Lost Boys 
dodging skateboards, failing to play basketball. It just goes on and on. And on. you're like, you've got Bob Hoskins and Dustin Hoffman in a ship. Just go to them. Cut, cut, cut mm. to Hoffman. Let's get Hook in the movie. Mm. And they're great. That moment at the start where it's, in fact, it's disappointing. That great at the moment at the start where it's Smee, <laughs> uh, Hook and uh, Peter Banning at that point um, having a, a three-way conversation and the timing and everything. You've got three mm. great comic actors sparring and then you sort of offered that little soupçon of what could be and never again. There is great chemistry between um, Hoskins and Hoffman in this. I think, I think some of the best scenes are when they're sort of playing off each other. They obviously, they're obviously enjoying themselves and I think that makes for some of the most enjoyable scenes in the film. Certainly the moment where he goes, don't try and stop me, Smee. Don't try and stop me. Try and stop me. Smee, try and stop me. The suicide attempt Mm. is brilliant. Brilliant, because you get so much of what Hook's character is in that moment. Yeah, but there's a weird amount of suicide chat and child killing in what is a kid's film. Oh, kids love it. It's astonishing. They put Glenn Close in a box and <gasps> drop scorpions on her. Now, that bit I'd never forgotten. Because obviously she's a very, very good actor. She does look terrified. But then they probably did do that in pirate times. Yeah? Mm. Yeah? Mm, yeah? Yeah. No, I'm sure they did. Yeah. Yeah. I still can't fathom Glenn Close says, I'm going to dress as a man and be a pirate in this cameo. I, I, <laughs> I think, this is what I've come up with. I think it's the fact that people thought this was going to be so big because apparently a lot of celebrities, A-listers, were just visiting the set to hang out on the set because there was this, like, Hook is the movie, it's the big one, it's going to be huge. And so, you know, offered a cameo as a pirate. She's like, brilliant, I'll be remembered for that cameo in this awful movie. David Crosby and Jimmy Buffett as well are pirates. (laughs) Good. Musicians who haven't really... Stood the test of time in the UK, but oh, it depends who you ask, mm. doesn't it? <laughs> you big Jimmy Buffett fan, Graham Nash fan. <laughs> it's weird that you say a lot of people die in this. Uh, I have uh, an alternate version because at the end, Peter Pan, Robin Williams, is killing a lot of pirates when they all have the big fight at the end. He's got a sword and he's stabbing them. I double checked. Yeah, he plunges his sword repeatedly into pirates, and this is before Rufio has died. Right. So I actually would like to see Neverland as more of a purge world, as in you can go there and dress up, a bit like Westworld maybe, Mm, mm. and just kill people in a fictional time and then return guilt-free to the real world. Hang on, let me just get Alton Towers on the phone. (laughs) That's actually a great idea. (laughs) It is. It's like one place on the planet you can murder. (laughs) Neverland. I mean, it is Westworld, so... (laughs) I think it's been done. But but with pirates. Right, got it. Right, right, right. I suppose the problem with Peter Pan is always being a pirate is loads of fun and being a lost boy is just sad. So what would you rather be? You'd rather be a pirate. Yep, totally. Mm. Question. Were I said at the start, it requires you to be quite familiar with the source material. Yeah. Were you finding at points you're like, who lived in that tree? Who were the original Lost Boys that Peter keeps talking about? Because I've, I've only seen the Disney cartoon and I recognise a lot of the motifs from the Disney cartoon in this film. So that was quite pleasing. Like the way that he's, Peter Pan stands, you know, with his legs apart, I'm going to say, which is true. But yeah, Peter Pan pose. Oh, yeah, and the Bond moment where it's the Bond poster where Rufio's on his knees between the shot between yes! the legs. And you're like, mm, weird. weird. Don't get that. Yeah, that's weird. Weird shot. Um, but I've always found the play really fucking irritating. I've always found the pantomime really irritating. I find the character of Peter Pan irritating. Mm. 
And maybe an easy way for me not to be irritated would just be as me watching it as a 10-year-old. Just put some little girls in The Lost Boys because otherwise, what am I watching? What's his little daughter called? And she just, I don't know, the girl in the nighty with the eyebrows. Daddy, daddy. Mm. And it's like, that's all there is there for me, so that's no good. Yeah, I guarantee you that, especially when this came out, more people were familiar with the Disney film than had read the book. I'm almost yeah. positive that of of my age, of that age, of that target audience age, and I think if they'd made a sequel to that Disney film using mm. those details rather than the book ones, it might have been less confusing. I think, as I said at the but start, obviously they didn't have the rights to do that. They should. Have, it would have been great if they'd made a Peter Pan movie. It's it, you know you spend so long in this movie with exposition, sort of explaining how this relates to a movie that doesn't exist, unless we're attaching this as a sequel to the animated version, which it really isn't. I find it all a little bit clumsy i also think if this didn't have spielberg's name attached and an a-list cast people wouldn't have gone to see it i think as was proved with uh, jason isaac's peter pan i don't think this is a story that people are clamoring at to see i don't think it resonates with people as much as perhaps filmmakers mm. think i don't think it is a property that bears remaking if you expect people to turn up i just don't think it's that story yeah i agree and 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 not just the fact that maybe you're not as aware of the source material, you'll be confused. I think there's lots of plot holes in this one as well that just have you scratching your head. Like, um, like Hook's been spying on him for, for, for what seems like forever and yet doesn't know that he's grown up. Tinkerbell thinks Peter Pan's dead early on in the film. She just goes to sleep. That's ridiculous. Well, she, well, she, does she, like, she likes him, so but why is she You've got to imagine. You've got to imagine there's a, there's a bit missing there because he falls into the water... Like, mermaids thank you and mermaid porn yeah. and then he literally climbs out minutes later and t- this hat he fell in the water when tinkerbell was still arguing with captain hook and he finds her and she's asleep like you say and she thought he was dead it's like what happened and and the, the, the captain hook i'm very unclear about what happened to captain hook and the crocodile and what the deal is with that cro- crocodile at the end of the film that's a clock i feel like he snatch defeat from the jaws of victory there because the crocodile's falling down and he's got probably about 4,000 years to move out of its way and then sort of like bobs his head underneath it so he's like oh he's been eaten oh okay but you could have run off is it meant to be alive that's my big question and I think it's like it, it, he's, he's it, meant to think the head, it's alive no but the head moves down the, the problem is the fact we're even having this conversation means that it's a stupid moment because I watched it and I was like, I, I'm thinking about what's going on. Why, how did the crocodile swallow him? It doesn't crush him. It ingests him. So yeah. is the crocodile alive? But then what, has it always been alive and just waiting for that moment? That's exactly what I'm talking about. I would have starved to death because right. it was it was like lashed to a tower. And also they puncture its chest at one point with a sword and loads of green gas escapes. Not referenced in any way. No explanation yeah, as to what true. that is. Although a nice touch I noticed this time is that the top of... Um, Captain Hook's pirate hat. Look, it's the, the design is like little crocodile teeth. Oh, that's nice. Like, like from yeah, where, he, where nice. he was supposed to have died. Um, so we've touched on Dustin Hoffman. Do you like Dustin Hoffman's performance? Yes, I do. I do as well. Yeah, I think mm. he's I like that weird amazing. accent. Yeah, I like that weird accent he's doing. His accent's great. It's yeah, really it's, good. It's not jarring weirdly. I really yeah, like it. Yeah, it's like an accent, I've, an English accent I've never heard, yeah. and yet I wasn't offended by it. It exactly. sounded <laughs> not, it sounded nice to listen <laughs> yeah. to. The moment where he says to Peter, "How." Did you fit into those smashing tights again? <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. I mean, his plan is a is a strange one. Wanting to trying to get Peter's children to love him. And I think hate it's Peter. a good plan. That's because nothing would hurt more. I think that's a really good. I think it's a good bit of writing mm. that to fight him 
is a bit boring and he's over that, but to turn his own children against him, unless he secretly doesn't love his kids, which is, I suppose, a threat, um, would that would, you couldn't hurt a person more than that. He turns his son into Mini-Me before Mini-Me existed. Yeah. yeah. That kid, um, the child actor who plays the kid in Dick Tracy mm. as well, really, he gets better as the film goes on because at the start when he's on the plane smashing that baseball off the mm. top of the plane, I'm like, this kid is a living... Imagine being on that plane. you just be like... Can we eject? Is there an eject? Can we get rid of him? But he gets better. I like the bit where he pulls his baseball cap over his eyes when he's crying. Yeah, it's cute. It's a really good moment. But I just feel like they could have made more of that symbiotic relationship between Hook and Pan. They kind of t- they t- they touch upon it, but I think it is interesting that Hook Hook can't deal with the fact that Peter has grown up. Yeah. yeah. He 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 talks about he misses his he, he wants his youth and his joy and his innocence back, and it's really interesting. They can't really exist without the other which is is part of the best sort of mythology and and hero stories and yeah he just goes too far away from it to, to for too long in this film yeah and he also has uh there's moments where which again you mentioned it stuff that you find weird in a kid's movie like where uh, drusilla who is introduced by name and has one moment in it which is to remove uh, Captain Hook's hook to replace it with a baseball bat. Yeah, she, she has an orgasm. She <laughs> basically is like, no. Oh, wow, she so took off a hook. Yeah. You never done that before. <laughs> and um, the, the baseball game, I I enjoyed. You know, I'm saying I didn't like the child killing, but but shoot, <laughs> shooting a child to death who's stealing second base. He's not a child. He's a pirate. I oh, was that a pirate? Yeah, he's a pirate. Man pirate. <laughs> yeah. Do you not like it? They as much even anymore? they have a line. No, I'm saying I like I like the scene. Yeah, I like the scene. Yeah, that's no, that's a pirate they killed. But I a bold move if they'd gone. <laughs> yeah, we'll just introduce a kid here. <laughs> a kid pirate. Yeah. Um. So. That's Captain Hook. What did people think of, by people I mean the two of you, Robin Williams as Peter Pan? It's very difficult to disentangle emotion from Robin Williams just generally mm-hmm. because he, because of every reason that everyone loves him for. So I can't slag him off because I just don't find it possible to do it. And I like him being mean because mm. when I was 10, that was the, one of the scariest things you could see was Robin Williams being mean. Um, Mork being nasty. Yeah, it's really. And when he's and looking back at it now, when he screams at his kids when they're annoying him when he's on the phone trying to close the deal of his life or whatever, and they are being annoying, but it is terrifying. He really loses his temper with them, and it's disproportionate and it's really scary to watch. Apparently, Williams found it very difficult playing that part of his character. Steven Spielberg said uh, the character is the antithesis of who Robin is. It was a real challenge for him mm. well he's missed you know if you you know you watch that documentary i was on about him recently he's, he's missed a heart on sleeve and mm. always was so yep i i I've, i just found it I, I didn't enjoy watching him be like that though i found it quite grating and so by the time it got to him being peter which is way 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 into the movie 70 I, minutes 70 minutes, minutes over an hour um and he's flying it's 70 minutes that's over an hour just to confirm <laughs> <laughs> I liked when he's flying. You know, it finally gave Spielberg the opportunity to pan in. Um, so, oh, I know. Yeah. I know. Um, oh, sorry, I missed that. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Uh, but I didn't know. I did not enjoy his performance in this film, Alex. This is this is. Um, he felt he felt badly cast to me. And I think they were talking to Kevin Klein, and I might have liked, um, but he couldn't get out of the, the the film he was doing. He was someone's up for. I might have enjoyed him more in this role than. I like it when he's. I agree. It's a, he's got some great lines at the start, but again, even at the start, it's the bit where he's playing mobile phone, like 
standoff with his colleague, like a little ridiculous bit like that, oh, yeah. is way more fun. And then at the end, where he's talking to Brown on the phone, and he, he's like, he's like, I'm going to climb up a drain pipe. If I had any fairy dust, you know, I'd fly up there. And you're like, well, I mean, you're going to get fired because you sound loopy. But uh, also, that's an, it's, yeah. I do like the bit, though, where he calls um, the Lost Boys. He goes, what is this, Lord of the Flies preschool? Good line. <laughs> at one stage, he says, I've never taken drugs. I don't know if that was for the adults in the audience. <laughs> you all know quite how many drugs Robin Williams had taken. And when Smee goes, good morning, Neverland. <laughs> is that a good morning Vietnam reference? No, it definitely is. And I just feel like it weirdly dates the movie. Yeah. And I, th- I think when you have those, those um, references to stuff that's happened so recently... It just don't just don't do that in big movies like this because in thirty years time either people won't be laughing or it will make them cringe. Um, what did you think of uh, Young Wendy? That was a surprise for someone who'd not seen it for thirty years. The actress playing Young Wendy. Wait, which one's Wendy? That's not. I thought. Oh, it Gwyneth Paltrow. A... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Sorry, I got confused. I thought you meant the little girl. Yeah, me too. What's yeah. her name? Uh, yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow, who got the role because she's Steven Spielberg's goddaughter. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, her parents are, are you know. Well, very well-known actors. But um, I didn't know she was in it because I've not seen this since it came out. And yeah. So it's she's good. She's good, yeah. It's only a second film role. We're still, I think, four years away from Seven, uh, which is the first time I really remember well, seeing four her. four years before she did Seven? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, nine, this is 1991, Seven's 1995, and then 1998, she um, won the Oscar for Shakespeare in Love. Right. I thought she was playing like a 13-year-old in this. Mm-mm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah she's good. Um, you know, I, I like the stuff about him growing up because he wanted to be a father. I think that is nice and that those are the happy thoughts. So in, in this, um, it's happy thoughts that are required for him to fly. Yeah. It changed in the J.M. Barry story. It started off, it was fairy dust. Yeah. Um, but even a hundred years ago, they were worried and J.M. Barry changed it because um, kids were going home and thinking they could fly. All they needed was fairy dust and they were putting dust on each other and jumping off beds and going to hospital. That's natural selection. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's a shame. He's got two kids, says Peter Pan, a son, a much longed for son Mm. and a daughter. And the daughter is his cheerleader throughout the whole thing. She's like, you can't turn my dad against me and he's going to rescue me. And then when Peter Pan is required to think of his happiest thought, it's the thought of his firstborn who fucking hates him. (laughs) And that's what makes him fly. And I understand that the firstborn is a very, very magical and unique experience. But is there not a way of for- not forgetting you've got a daughter? Vicky, Vicky, maybe you'd heard that daughter singing <laughs> because I wanted her to die when she sang that song. What song is it? I think I'm just... I don't know. It's some, it's some made-up song. Good oh, song. yeah, she does. Oh, I've yeah. got the good one. The good one's the one early on. This is to give you a taste of um, of what the a musical Peter Pan might have sounded like. This is the This is what one of the songs... No, sorry, that was something else I was listening to earlier to relax. This is it. We want to be like Peter Pan. We don't want to grow up. Want to stay kids as long as we can. Yeah, I hate it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. That makes me think of the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, actually. That's, um, I think they were trying to tap into some of that magic. Do you have a Disney pass or something? <laughs> <laughs> Are we sponsored by the parks and you just haven't told us? God, if we are, you have to tell me. <laughs> I've never been. Let's do a live show then. She has a great line, the little kid in it, where she goes to Hook as she's being carried away and you think it's all over, the first fake ending. And she says to Hook, you need a mother very, very badly. Yeah. Good line. 
ending after ending after <laughs> ending of this film. Um, it made me long for Return of the King. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's pacey compared to this. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the main question I had was, what, what's Smee doing in London? Is that the real Smee in London? Yeah, it's all a dream. No. It's all a dream. It's not, though. It, it is. Work. That would work if Tinkerbell wasn't hanging on a lamppost behind him going, no, it's real, Peter. Like, oh, oh, yeah. And we know that Smee's been going back and forth to London, I think, because he got, he got Peter's medical records for, for... Oh, yeah, but they're in for... some, an ancient leather-bound book <laughs> for some reason <laughs> rather than an NHS right, okay. folder. <laughs> but, um, so that had me scratching my head. Again, just it feels like these unclear... Um, lapses in logic potentially Um, and also his Peter's great awakening about being less restrictive with his kids and playing more he's like open all the windows that you can it's like no that's still that's bad advice you were right yeah you Uh, don't want your children to fall off that balcony that railing is low yes that's a low railing yeah um, we've talked about a lot of the main cast. How about Julia Roberts in this? Fucking movie? annoying, so annoying, unbelievable. And I like her. I love her. In fact, it, it looks like the script was flagging, and he just said, "Babe, can you just do the fucking smile?" Because that's everyone, what everyone's come to see. I have written here. Cut to Julia Roberts repeatedly grinning at nothing, yeah, and then sometimes laughing hysterically when nothing funny has happened. Yes, uh, famously, um, Steven Spielberg said or uh, it's an interview that he did uh, in America uh, on 60 Minutes where he was asked if he'd ever worked with Julia Roberts again after this and he said no and then he said um, it wasn't the right time for us to work together she was nicknamed Tinker Hell on oh. this movie um, but uh, look in a defence apparently she just um, not apparently she had just uh, her engagement to Kiefer Sutherland had just ended like four days before shooting and the marriage had been the wedding had been cancelled and she was in a weird place, but uh, yeah, so he wasn't a fan of working with Julia Roberts shh, at shh. this time. Give her her right to reply, though. She spoke to Vanity Fair a few years later and of, of that quote, mm. and she said, hand to God, not a thing I read about that was truthful, and it really hurt my feelings. I couldn't believe that this person that I knew and trusted was actually hesitating to come to my defence. It was a hard lesson to learn. It was the first time that I felt I had a turncoat in my midst. Mm. So I believe they've not worked together again since. No, whereas uh, Spielberg and Robin Williams became best friends after this movie. They certainly have sentimentality in common. Yep. Um, I've heard I've heard Williams talk about that, that one of his problems is that he wants to put as much sentiment into his films as possible and that he realises other people want him to pull back, that sometimes mm-hmm. it's too much. I know for years his partner was the person who said, no, that's too much. Mm. But and nevertheless, we still got Jack and Patch Adams mm-hmm. and so <laughs> Bicentennial Man in so many films where you're like, oh, yeah, And no. then when he gets it right, mm-hmm. you get an Oscar. It's Good ama- Will yeah. Hunting. It's perfect. Yeah. Absolutely perfect. Yeah, amazing. Um, uh, I guess let's do the bits, really. I mean, the only other thing that I think is worth mentioning is that very last moment, which is, again, another moment that is completely undermined by a superfluous line when he's floating off where and he says bye-bye to the Lost Boys after making Thud Butt the new leader. And the one of the Lost Boys says, that was a great game. Yeah. And the idea that everything they'd just been through is just like, that was fun. That was a bit of a game. And then you have to have a voiceover of Robin Williams going, thank you for believing. (laughs) What? (laughs) The game line. Go out on the game line. Oh, and also, if I ever see a grown man crow again, it would be too soon. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, do it. It's just mortifying. Just... Just it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't need to happen. And also, I don't want to hear the word bangerang as long as I live. 
I, I don't need that to my life. And I don't need I don't need the Lost Boys to be all Village of the Damned. That bit where like you're playing with Earth, Peter. You're doing it. <laughs> it's it's like we'll tear your soul apart. Aww, so I can Al- do it. Alex, uh, Alex has grown up. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't, wait. What my doll written seven times. Uh, all right, um, it's yeah. time to get onto the bit. Cool. <laughs> if you're reading that every time you wrote down dull, yeah, it's uh, time to move on. <laughs> MVW most valuable whatever, Chris. Dustin Hoffman's teeth. <laughs> um, I noticed that the teeth, wig and high heels ensemble is basically him doing Tootsie again. Right. Um, and I was going to say his double act with Bob Hoskins is is amazing, but I'm going to go for his teeth. I think they're immense and help uh, with the voice. As sure. Well. Yep. Beautiful moment. Um, my MVW is Dustin Hoffman's eyebrows or Rufio's boots because <laughs> I thought they were nice. Wow, I can't believe I hated this movie and yet I've come up with a real moment. Uh, the most valuable whatever is Dame Maggie Smith. Of course. Um, I just, honestly, that bit where he walk, she first appears at the top of the stairs and says... I just thought she said, hello, boys. Singular. <laughs> hello, boy. It is beautiful. Got, hello, boys. That's like that, that Kelly Brook No, advert. I know, Vicky like, said that. That's Sorry. what I thought, yeah. And I thought that was weird. <laughs> But then she, her behaviour later sort of bore that out. Did you have a poster of that on your wall, Chris? No. <laughs> Maggie's no. leaning up. <laughs> it doesn't that, work on a podcast, in, but you can in, imagine. In old makeup. <laughs> in, what, in clown makeup did you oh, say? Old makeup. Old makeup. They exactly. aged her up in this film, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. She, was like, like, she wasn't that much older than Robin Williams yeah. when she made this. No, and it's good. She's convincing. Yeah, you do watch it and goes. Maggie Smith always been the age she's in. How could she be that old now? <laughs> it's, that's the trouble with Max von Sydow, who we lost this week, and mm. who we talked about on the Escape to Victory episode. But because they aged him up in The Exorcist, everyone thought he's been that age forever, yeah. and so he seemed like he was 140 <laughs> rather than 90. Um, best scene, Chris. Um, so as I said, I like the murderous baseball game. But now I've realised it's it's not a kid being shot, like it less. Um, and I have, although I've been moaning about the um, fat shaming within this film, I'm afraid I'm going for the kid turning into a cannonball and Are wiping the really? baddies out. I just think it's a wonderful uh, image. No, it makes me feel sick. Me too. Yeah, well, I, I picked up on that. His so. feet are so close to his own head. That's, That's your I am now, based on what... Vicky said, though, I am now wondering where his willy's gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Back up inside. <laughs> uh, my best scene is, and it's a serious answer. Oh, good. So when Moira, who is Peter's wife, um, is, there's two scenes, actually. It's when he gets a telling off about how he's neglecting his children. So after Peter has yelled at them um, and they're still in Maggie Smith's house, she says to him, you're not being careful and you're missing them growing up and they won't always want to play with you. And mm. that's really true. Really good writing. Nice moment. Um, oh. But then the sort of flip side of that is then when Hook tries to turn Peter's kids against him and the girl is like, they, my mummy loves me because she reads me stories. And he says, she only reads your stories to send you to sleep. She doesn't love you. And it's like, that's true. Yeah. So it, it, those two moments are really good, really mature, well written. I like the second one. The first one I wrote cut next to because I'm like that whole scene by the window uh, where she's having that conversation with him. I'm like, oh, my God. It's like At that point, I thought I'd look up who Moira was. Yeah. Um, Caroline Goodall. And then I looked up other movies Caroline Goodall had been in. She plays the pilot, uh, Crystal, in Cliffhanger. Mm. Oh, right. She's John Lithgow's love mm. interest in mm. that movie. 
So I watched Cliffhanger for a bit and I made lots of notes on Cliffhanger for a future episode because right. it was more enjoyable than this. Um, last night when I couldn't sleep, mm. Um, mm. I wrote down in my phone a pairing for Cliffhanger what? for a future episode. Oh, and I, I don't know why it came in my head, but people were tweeting about Cliffhanger this week. And I checked if it was the anniversary. It isn't. So I don't know why that is. But we can. This can be discussed. Okay. I don't think you should ever analyse why people are tweeting about anything. People were <laughs> tweeting "Merry Christmas" this morning, and it's like, I, you know, there's only so much time we have on this planet. Um, all right. Uh, my uh, best scene is how did you ever manage to fit into those <laughs> smashing tights again? Love it. Spoiled it. Uh, I did earlier. I got excited. Okay. What would you change about this film? Uh, Chris? Uh, well, I was going to say the John Williams score. I think it's one of his worst. What? I think Do you it not might, like Harry Potter? I think it might remind you of Harry Potter, but it isn't on the same level as that because I can't remember a note of this one and I can sing you can Harry you, Potter right now. It's the same. And then it changes. No, it cha- you've done... You've done that's not Harry Potter. It's not this. Um, I think it needed something like Hans Zimmer's Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, but something really uh, sort of upbeat, sort of glorious leaves or a bit going into battle kind of thing. Anyway. It's weird. You say that and you watch the big fight at the end and the score and the action do not marry up no, at all. No. It's like this big bombast and a lot of noise on the score and it doesn't relate to this comical yeah. battle that's happening. But mm. as you guys like the score, I'm going to say I, 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 what I would change is leave the soundstage and get out in the world. Get out in the real world. Go to blooming New Zealand Go to friggin' Jamaica. Go somewhere and, and build your set <laughs> Go to... <laughs> I don't get that, but go there. Um, Vicky, what would you change? Um, bring Rufio back to life. <laughs> Sorry, oh, yeah. but it's too much. He's a child. And I know you say that Peter Pan has been stabbing people to death, but we haven't seen that. We've seen people getting shot in the testicles with paint bombs or whatever. So it's like, oh, someone can't die. And then Rufio dies and it's just left there. And there could be some bullshit piece of magic that brings him back to life. Yeah, I agree. Because they sort of, he gives like the title of leader of the Lost Boys to a boy whose special skill is turning into a big ball of himself Mm. and rolling around. (laughs) And it sort of feels like he's going, yeah. Wish Rufio was here. (laughs) Rufio's dead. I'm off. Good luck, kids. Yeah. He doesn't take them with him, which is weird. Yeah, I don't really understand why they... I don't know whether they prefer being in Neverland. In the very first uh, um, uh, book, I think, well, one of the early books that Jay and Barry wrote, they're lost children who get lost in Kensington Gardens. Ooh. Which isn't very big. It's kind of like getting lost in a supermarket. So I don't really have a whole lot of sympathy. I lost a child at the weekend. I found him again. Guess where I lost my son? <laughs> Charles Darwin's house. <laughs> we went for a visit. English heritage. It's a big thing for us. Turned Na- around. Natural selection. <laughs> yeah, natural selection. He was fucking gone. <laughs> I tried to get this volunteer to help me. She lost her temper with me. She's like, I am trying to help you. I was like, you're not trying very hard. And I'm running around Charles Darwin's house, yelling for him. And then I found him and he said, I just wanted a new grown up. And I said, right, okay. Oh, no. <laughs> wow. Jesus. How are you not affected by Hook when your own child is saying... Because <laughs> I've got enough going on. <laughs> Can you, you believe it? Did you just immediately start reading him a story to I send just, him to sleep? I just <laughs> don't want... I hope the authorities aren't listening to this podcast. Because <laughs> this happens a, all the time. This is a weekly thing. I found him, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. um, Where was he? With the, He was downstairs in the kitchen with a new grown-up. But a did, woman grown-up, so it was fine. Did you, speak, <laughs> did you speak to the woman grown-up? I said, thank you. 
Yeah. Oh, was she holding his hand? <laughs> she was making sure he didn't run off. Yeah. Okay. I know. She said, we just thought we'd wait with him while you appeared. And did she hear him say, I just wanted a new grown I don't up. know. It wasn't clear. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, where are we then? Change. Have you, have you done your change? You haven't yeah. done yeah. your change. Have right, you done great. yours, Alex? Uh, yeah, I just change. Uh, I, I point out that the definition of edit in the dictionary is prepare written material for publication by correcting, condensing, or otherwise modifying it. So that's what I'd ask the filmmakers to look up. Edit. Wow. (laughs) Tough. Tough love. Yeah. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Right, are we ready to move on to Jumanji? Because we are in danger of this podcast being longer than Hook. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ready to move on, but... um... I've written a real... This is so disappointing. I wrote this introduction as an homage to you, Chris, because it's exactly the sort of thing that you would do. But Alex has already done it. So I'm going to do my Jumanji intro, but he's kind of wrecked it Is it like his Jumanji intro? Yeah! Um, We'll wait till you get to the frigging quiz then, because you both spoiled that. (laughs) Wait. I know, just listen. Did I steal the board games gag from both of you? Yeah, without any prior consultation. Yeah, that's a shame. Um, 
There's not enough originality between Can the you three read of us. yours so we can compare who's was better? Yeah, sure, I'm still going to do it. Okay, Definitely. Great. Right, are you ready? Yeah. <clears throat> 1995's Jumanji sees Kirsten Dunst, a cute mute monkey boy, and guess who? Robin Williams, scrabble about in a ludicrous jungle and PTSD-themed caper, risking everything in a game of life to save their town from rhinos and vines rather than snakes and ladders. But do they have the monopoly on the action? Yes. <laughs> no, it's not bad. I good. liked Ludo. Chris. Yeah, me too. Me too. You. That's actually what wins it. I'll yeah. be the oh, judge. thank yeah. you. Okay. You've won the first game of the day. Brilliant. <laughs> well done. Alan Parrish was just a young boy who made an incredible discovery. 26 years later, Peter and Judy Shepard are about to play the same game. Are you Alan Parrish? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Everyone thought you were dead. Now, never shaved before. They must roll the dice. You're playing the game I started in 1969. I'm going to have to play. And finish the game together. It's not my turn. Whose turn is it? Sarah Whittle. 26 years ago, we started playing a little game. Whoa, God, no, sir! Alan, come on, I have been over 2,000 hours in therapy, convincing myself that these things are safe. Sarah, Sarah, we're all going to sit down. We're going to finish it. So this is Jumanji. Um, it was written by Jonathan Hensley. Well, some a lot of writers, but um, Jonathan Hensley, friend of the show uh, from Armageddon. Um, and this, and Die Hard with a Vengeance, which we'll probably do at some point. Based on a book, it was the 10th highest grossing film of 1995. What was the first, anyone? 1995? Mm-hmm. Um, it was. Wait. No, I got nothing. It was Die Hard with a Vengeance. Oh, I was going to say that! <laughs> so you wanted to be invited to Jonathan Hensley's Christmas party that year. Um, directed by Joe Johnson, Captain America. What did he do? He did this. <laughs> And Armageddon. No. I mean, she's literally just listed. <laughs> she said his Christmas party was good. I'm like, what did he do? Oh, what the well, Christmas he had all the party? He had oh, all the I money see. from the two films. Yeah, but what did he spend it on? How do you know? Like, was it like? Did he have like fake snow on the outside? Was it like Chevy Chase's house in Chevy Chase? Chevy Chase? Yeah, the guy, play, the guy who plays the car <laughs> in Smokey and the Bandit, Chevy Chase. It's not a he Chevy. had a bunch of board games around his house and you had to succeed in them or something would get blown up. He combined Die Hard with a Vengeance with Jumanji. That's a brilliant idea. Write that down. Yes, sorry. <laughs> um, uh, yes, sorry. Directed by the same person that did Jurassic Park 3, which I'm particularly fond of. I know you're particularly fond of it for one <laughs> particular scene, which I'll let you enact right now. Uh, Joe Johnson still has one of the greatest scenes in movie history, which is where he decides to put a velociraptor on a plane <laughs> and seat it next to Sam Neill. It's a dream sequence. The velociraptor's got its little arms over the edges <laughs> of the plane seat. Sam Neill turns to his right. The velociraptor looks at him and goes, Hello, Alan. <laughs> It's so good. Alan. Alan. <laughs> did, did we talk about that on the Congo episode? Yeah. yeah. I feel like we might have. It's really brilliant. It's a talk, standout moment. Talking beasts <laughs> on planes. And then obviously you've got Robin Williams, who by this point had done Hook and Aladdin and Mrs. Doubtfire. So you basically can't miss with this. Um, but let's find out if you do miss. I've got a quote about the book. The author, um, Chris Van Olsberg, it was a picture book from 1981. And he said, I think most authors who write for children are revisiting their own childhood. 
I recall as a child being interested in playing board games, but always at the same time being slightly disappointed because it was all pretend. So I had in mind this idea that it would be great if there were board games that actually delivered what they promised. With that in mind, I contemplated different kinds of games where that might produce an interesting result, and I settled on a jungle adventure game because of the cognitive dissonance. You know, Rhino Stampede, we've all seen that, but you've never seen a Rhino Stampede in a dining room. And you don't in this, do you? <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> right. um, you do. Uh, he also was quite uh, uh, important when it came to actually getting this made because the studio optioned it and they commissioned some screenplays. They weren't happy with any of them and they were going to abandon it as a project. And then it was the author, Chris Van Olsberg, who started writing some ideas. The studio liked his treatment and he wrote a script and that's where it all began. He says, I didn't get a screen credit, but I got a story credit uh, because so many screenwriters worked on it after my contribution. Yeah. He also wrote of... The Polar Express, which I didn't know. Yeah, and he kind of half-slagged it off a little bit. Like, he's happy with the film, but he reckons they played it a bit safer. He preferred it to be, and his picture book was a bit more surreal than this. Mm. Mm. Um, but and it was greenlit because of Jurassic Park. Mm. The director and the producer met to discuss it the week Jurassic Park came out. So it was just a done deal at that point. Yeah. They saw the box-off results and realised the technology was there. Almost. Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> the technology was there for Jurassic Park. Yeah, they yeah. used all the technology. <laughs> there was there none was left. left. <laughs> technology is finite. <laughs> We've run out of CG. <laughs> oh, where's the box of pixels? <laughs> I know I do have a quote, but we'll get to it. I do have a quote on that front about the, at the time, the effects people sort of explaining why it does look different. Okay. But we can get to that. Did they say different or are you being diplomatic? It might be nice. Mm. Uh, some of it's good, uh, mainly the animatronic stuff. Well, they said it wanted the world. They were, they were told by the director and producers that the world should be heightened. So they gave the animals exaggerated character. Right. So not like animals you would actually see in a jungle. Animals from this board game that have more personality mm. No normal so, monkey would do this. Is, no. that, is that what you mean? And so they're a bit, so they're more animated than maybe you would want them to be. And certainly that does look dated to modernise when at the time it looked pretty. Did it? I don't remember ever thinking those monkeys look good. Mm-mm. I think a lot of the other stuff looks good. I think the crocodiles are good. I think the lion is great. But mm. the monkeys no. really bothered me. Yeah, they should have gone down the gremlins route. Which is what the monkeys basically are in yeah. this film. They are the gremlins. Yeah. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead. No, it's okay. I mean, we can we can just get into this. So um, we're in 1869 with some luckless urchins and they bury Jumanji. And then, oh, we flash forward and it's the 60s and everything is brilliant in the 60s unless you're Alan Parrish who destroys the future of footwear mm. and then gets his ass kicked by a mob of bullies. Yeah, that's not his fault. I mean, it's not his fault, it's his dad's fault. Well, his dad thought there was just one bully out there, so sent him out to his doom. Yeah, and then he sent him out to face a mob, which is um, a bit of harsh justice. Well, no, it's good parenting, if you ask me. That's what I do if I had any kids. And just... if, I, if I ever borrow yours, I'll probably do that with them. Really? Mm, yeah. S- set them, get, rescue them from Charles Darwin's house. I'm going to have a, a child fight club. <laughs> I don't know how bright the dad is, though, because he's, he owns a machine that breaks while destroying shoes. And it still looks like a trainer. Like, I know he's upset about the machine, but you think it would be like, oh, but the future of footwear. It still looks exactly like a training does, shoe. Yeah, just slightly shredded. But shredded, which, you know, also could have been a thing. And in that moment, it's not actually very clear that Alan Parrish realises it's his fault. I think yeah. that bit should be signposted a bit better. Like, yeah. that he's, because he sort of looks as he's going downstairs and he sees a group of people gathering around a machine. 
but you really need to see the dad fire. Firing Carl, yeah. Right, which is a, a strange omission. Yes. But when it comes around to the apology later. Yes. Uh, so then we get drums, drums, drums. Alan can hear some drums. And then he plays on a building site all by himself because it's the 60s. <laughs> and then he takes Jumanji. Um, and then he goes home. And then he sees his dad. And for all this trouble in getting his ass kicked by these bullies, his dad decides to send him to boarding school, which is a bit upsetting. Yeah, I like that, though. The idea of it's the parish's sponsored boarding school, basically. Yeah. And it's a good it's a good reason not to want to go. Because you'd be like, that's probably a really good school. But it's like, I don't want to be somewhere where I live in a building with my name on it. Because mm-hmm. I'm just going to get my ass handed to me even more. Mm-hmm. Um, Are you speaking from experience here? Uh, yeah. Did you go to the Alex yes. Lane prep school? <laughs> yeah, I wish. I'd have loved that. <laughs> you <laughs> he would have. Of course. His friggin' ego. <laughs> Comprehensive school, educated. It was lovely, yeah. But, you know, tough, because I was the only kid who carried a briefcase. So, yeah, an academy named after me would have been lovely. <laughs> Mention the briefcase again. Yep. I know. As if, have you tick it off your list? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, clash of the titles, bingo. I like to think I like to think of it as a greatest hits moment. <laughs> it's such a personal story that everyone knows. <laughs> it's a, yeah, I'd say it's a single hit. I'm an open book. Or a briefcase, which I carried at school. Anyway, um, so Alan's left home alone for the evening, inexplicably. Uh, but it's all right, because this sweet girl that he kind of fancies, she turns up. I think she's bringing his bike back, which is quite nice. And he's like, hey, do you want to play Jumanji? And she says, yes. So they play it, and the game is alive, and the pieces move by themselves, and it must be magnets or something. And then he gets sucked into the game, and she quite sensibly fucks right off. Yep. Well, the riddle appears, doesn't it? In the jungle, you must wait until the dice read five or eight. It's a good little, it's a good little moment, isn't it? It's not a riddle, though, is it? <laughs> he loves a rhyme. Yeah, it's just a rhyme. <laughs> it's a bit of wordplay. Keeps him happy. Um, and then we cut to the 90s. <laughs> I think we know what your MVW is going to be at the end. <laughs> the wordplay. We're in the 90s. We've got chokers. We've got hats. We've got earrings with crosses on. We've got Lilith from Frasier. Um, oh, Lilith. I know, she's Four. amazing. Wait, is that Aunt Nora? Yeah. yeah. Oh, big Lilith fan. I knew I'd seen her in some Big Lilith fan, that yeah. coldness. Yeah, very, very sexy. <laughs> she is great in this, and yeah. she also knows how to live. It's time for ice cream and bourbon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the, bit, the bit I like the most about this is she's turning the old parish house into a and b even though the town we'll establish later is a fucking shithole and no one would want to live there, let alone go on a holiday there. But it's the cleaning montage. How sad is that? Like, she's like, I'm going to whip this into shape in one day. And she fucking does. But it's, it's I, the, mon- no, it doesn't work for me, that montage, because the amount of work she, do- that is a dilapidate. It looks like it needs tearing down at the start. Yeah. And then you see that montage, and I honestly thought months had passed in that montage because it goes from being leaf-strewn. Yeah. And then, I think a chandelier appears at one point, and you're like, well, it's been a big job. And then she goes, so how was your first day at school, kids? You're like, one day? <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot to mention the kids. So Yes, Aunt we Nora, should mention the kids. Yeah, Aunt Nora is in charge of her niece and nephew because this is a kid's film, so their parents have died. Yeah. Um, that's really sad. It struck the little boy mute mm-hmm. because he's so... Fake mute. Fake mute. Mm. Selective mute because he's so grief-stricken. Mm-hmm. And it's turned uh, Kirsten Dunst into a little wise-cracking... Liar. Call a liar. her a liar. She's, She's a, a liar. liar. She's a liar. Liar, You're a liar, liar. Pants on fire. You said you were from Spain. You're a liar. And I, th- I think these are two very likeable kids and they're really well played. 
Mm-hmm. I think I think it's they're really two, nice. two yeah. great actors. Well, especially when you watch this immediately after Hook, you're just like, oh, thank mm. God. yeah, thank God. <laughs> um, so they they're drums, drums, drums. They find the game. Lilith fucks off to work or something, leaving the kids alone. Um, they play the game. There's some giant mosquitoes. Something else. Oh, um, a bad lion. You like that lion? I didn't mind the lion. No, I Mon- like monkeys. Lion. Monkeys were the first thing. Those horrible, horrible monkeys. Gremlins, monkeys throwing knives at your head. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. There's serious jeopardy. There's a nice little moment where Head Monkey makes the others line up like a military platoon outside before they all break off. Like, yeah, like he's that got is a good bit. He's got a little plan. They've he's got like, a formation. Bah, 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 and then they all go. It's like on my mark. Yeah. Cause. <laughs> Chaos. There's a lot. There's a. I've written down Chaos Reigns yeah. uh, later in the film. Oh, is that another movie you're working on? That's a great title. <laughs> that I love it. Title. Um, it's from a Lars von Trier film. Uh, okay. Um, uh, uh, Fox says it. What? Long story. Um, Wait, is it? No, that's from uh, the one with Willie. The one with yeah, Antichrist. Antichrist. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. I should really shouldn't be referencing Antichrist on this episode. Mm. Um, but the monkeys do a lot of fun stuff in this film. No, because they're so distractingly awful, so I don't care about uh, anything they do. Uh, but, I think uh, that, I mean, it. it's... You the can, mo- I, you, you, There's nothing better <laughs> than a monkey on a motorbike with a gun. <laughs> Done. Sold. <laughs> Stamp that. Um, so around the time of the monkeys and the, the rubbish lion... If that monkey was pissed as well, it would be a drunk monkey with a gun on a motorbike. Swigging from yeah. a, a bottle. If he'd, had a, if, if he'd had some ice cream and bourbon in one hand and a <laughs> pistol in the other, all right, you! Okay, I'll cross out my favourite scene. We've done that one. Thank God I've got a couple. <laughs> Literally, a uh, monkey with gun on bike. No. Um, we finally get Look the introduction of... We've spent so much time together now. It's like, where do you end and I begin? <laughs> it's almost like we finish each other's sandwiches. sandwiches. You two. Um, <laughs> so, shush. Anyway, then we get Robin Williams arriving and it's a little bit unceremonious because he just sort of appears in a hallway rather than, oh, it's Robin Williams. But he's dressed what? like a tree he looks like and he's, <laughs> he's saving children from a lion. He looks, That's a fair entrance. No, uh, Fern Gully was all I kept thinking of and then I thought he looked ridiculous. He does look ridiculous. It's the leaves. They look so fake. It's like, is the jungle in Jumanji a fake jungle yeah. but the animals are real in case what do the herbivores there eat? Then, because, again, it's a kid's film, let's let's uh, ramp up the sadness a little bit more. So mm. he wants to find his parents, mm-hmm. and he's sort of trying to struggle with the fact that he's been gone for 26 years. He goes to the factory, says, my dad used to make shoes here. Correction, Robin Williams, your dad used to pay people to make shoes here. Oof. Not the same thing. Yeah, take but, that. But it's quite, you know, as you say, quite sad moments. A bit of sentimentality here when he's looking for his parents, finds his old stuff. Mm. But I feel like it's much more earned here than it is in Hook. Yeah, I suppose it's, yeah. The the problem here is that uh, it's good that he's looking for his parents, doesn't realise they're dead, but the guy who he asks and he goes, are the parishes still around? He goes, yeah, 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 they are. (laughs) I see them every now and again. They're over on Adams Street. Mm. That's the point where you would need to also, they're dead though. They're dead, Yeah. yeah. You don't go, yeah, they're on Adam Street. And go, <laughs> He's going to have a fucking... Fight. He's going to get a bit of a shock, <laughs> actually. Because it's actually a double grave. <laughs> yeah, they're buried together. What a dickish thing to do to someone. <laughs> um, 
And also such a nice, very unsuspicious homeless person. But he's like, do you want a blanket? Do you want a cup of coffee? And I'm going to play this prank on you about whether or not your mum and dad are dead. I don't know that you... I mean, he's got an open fire yeah. in the factory. He's got a dog that got seems dog. happy. It looks nice. It does look I really thought cozy. it looked very cosy. Um, and then we get a little bit of a dead parent playoff because Kirsten Dunst is like, don't worry about it. Our parents are also dead. Um, happy, happy, happy. But it's interesting because Jumanji, um, Jumanji. They, Jumanji, they they mention or I think it says that the game is it provides you a way to leave your world behind. And actually, Alan wants to leave his world behind because he's getting bullied and he's being sent away. And then these kids want to leave their world behind because um, they don't want to stay in a are, B&B. They don't want to stay in a B&B and, and their parents have died. Um, so I like that there is that parallel between both their stories. It's just a bit rough. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're watching this, I would have been 13 or 14. It's like, oh, bloody hell. Like, maybe just can't, like, tone down the existential dread a little mm. bit. I know. See, the funny well, thing is, though, I like it, it didn't give me that feeling, though, when I watched it at the time. Now I was a bit more disturbed by it. Yeah. Really? I have, honestly, this is a movie that I've watched six or seven times. This is a warm duvet movie for me. This is a Sunday afternoon where I get wrapped up in Jumanji. I really like it. I think it's got a really nice spirit to it. Mm. I don't find it a little grim and overpoweringly yeah. sad. I do. Mm. Um, then... Oh, go back to a hook. <laughs> doesn't make me feel that sad. Um, so then we need to get to Sarah. Sarah was the little girl who was playing the game with Alan Parrish when they were children. Mm. It turns out that Kirsten Dunst and her brother have started a, a continuation of that game. And for everything to go back to normal and to be set right, the original players have to finish the game. Mm-hmm. So they go to find grown-up Sarah. And even though she's clearly got PTSD from watching her friend be sucked into a board game and then be called a liar for 26 years. She's had 2,000 hours of therapy. 2,000 hours of therapy. Robin Williams basically fear shames her into doing the thing that terrifies her the most. Yeah. Which but is thankfully, weird. she's played brilliant. Like, yeah. you, you never sort of go, this is actually awful because Bonnie Hunt is so, so I, good I in haven't this. looked this up, but what happened to her? Like, she does, I, um, she's a voice actor. Does she? she does, uh, I just wrote story. down what a good sport she is in this. Like, she matches Robin Williams, I think, sort of. She goes toe-to-toe with him, and she's just as much fun to watch. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the the bit, one of my favourite lines in the whole thing is where they're having an argument sparring, and he's having a go at her. And she says, when I think of all the energy I spent visualising you as a radiant spirit. <laughs> she's a great line. And, and as they slowly fall in love with each other, I totally buy into it. Even though it's 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 only very slightly seeded as we go along. Yeah, I just thought she must be so desperate though, because that's basically a virgin child. It's not going to be very good. So. No, but they've but they've but they have this in common. They've both led lives of isolation. Yeah, he they've she's been on her own, just in a completely different way to him. But yes. but the, so this this incident connects them, and okay. and and their experience does. I, no, I really. It really... makes me annoyed that they are not given more time to improvise with each other, Bonnie yeah. Hunt and Robin Williams, because apparently Joe Johnson was a little bit unsure about casting Williams because of his reputation for improvising, uh, fearing that he wouldn't stick to the script. However, Williams understood it was a tightly structured story, and so did the scenes as written, and then only then was allowed to improvise. And they specifically say try stuff out with Bonnie Hunt. And I think those bits are the bits where you actually get a real, like, mm. oh, that's nice. Mm. Uh, we should talk about Van Pelt, who is the colonial hunter. Played by the played same. Played by Alan's dad. Yeah. And isn't he thinking from Anaconda? He is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forgot mm-hmm. his name. Yeah. Jonathan Hyde. Yes. 
he's uh so here this would have been another connection if Spielberg had made Peter Pan as opposed to Hook because um Van Pelt, the scary sort of villainous figure in this, is played by the same actor who plays Alan Parrish's dad. Mm. And in Peter Pan, traditionally, the same actor who plays Mr. Darling, Wendy's dad, mm. plays Hook in the stage show. Oh. Yeah. And so do we think that is, it's a literal manifest, <clears throat> manifestation of his father within the game? Or do you think it's just kind of fun casting? No, I think it's it's because the riddle, if are we calling it riddles or, you know, the fun wordplay bit, says uh, the, it goes that makes you feel like a child again. So it has to be his dad. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's deep. And I just thought it was to save a bit of money. Yeah. And yet so his dad's to put another, cast the same person. The fat CGI rhino in it. Yeah. <laughs> I like that rhino. I like that rhino. <laughs> <laughs> um, then plot-wise... I found this very annoying. A lot of back and forth where we just lose the game, to, and that slows down the narrative. That's extremely well, when a pelican flies off with the game. Fucking hell, that's the annoying. The bit by the river is probably the most boring bit. Really You're just waiting for them to get to home alone in a supermarket. <laughs> the supermarket bit is really strange. So Van Pelt, um, there's a rocket-powered canoe. Is there at one point he, a gas canister-powered canoe? It's home alone because he no he. They build that. It's a trap that they spring on Van Pelt in a very short amount of time. It's it's sort of like advanced micro machines for Joe Pesci in Home Alone. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, Jonathan Hyde is smashed to bits under a, a huge shelving unit full of paint mm-hmm. and only gets covered in paint, which is lucky because that would kill you. Um, and then we're back to... Oh, no, then there's that weird bit where little Peter gets turned into a monkey mm. and starts crying and it's really, really sad. And Robin Williams bollocks him for it and tells him to grow up and, and be then, a man. But, and, and then it turns out he's got his tail trapped in his pants. But Robin Williams literally, like, I mean, he doesn't mess about. There's no sort of like, oh, let's be subtle. Here he goes. Oh, yeah. God, look at me. 26 years in the jungle and I've turned into my dad. It's your tail. <laughs> it's your tail. <laughs> but that's the moment that I pays off for me better than um, Peter Banning being horrible to his kids. Here, okay. here, when he's horrible to to the, to this kid, I, this is the this is the version of that scene that hurt, that upset me. Why? Um, because I knew where he was coming from, and I didn't need to be told I'm turning into my dad. Yeah. I think that was for children, right. really, who okay. might not be watching it on that level. But I thought, oh wow, you've turned into your dad, and that's really, really sad. Oh God, so just more fucking dread and sadness. Like your parents will leave you, existential, and then you'll turn into them, yeah. and then you'll die. Yeesh, okay. Anyway, kids' film. Um, so... <laughs> no one gets put in a box with scorpions in this, though. That's true. No one gets stabbed yeah. through the heart. <laughs> Here you've got monkeys watching The Wizard of Oz on a telly. <laughs> I'd rather the dread in this. That's a great moment. The dread in this is like, it's uh, at least it sort of has sort of some, it's not done flippantly. But Whereas they... Hook is full of like quite flippant death. And it's not the focus yeah. of the film as well. I think the focus of the film here, if you're a kid, is watching the stakes keep getting raised, with, you know, with the monsoon and the crocodile and no. the floor and Incorrect. Shouldn't it be, as a board game, I don't want to get it, as a board game, it's a bit rubbish because there's never anything good. So you roll the dice and the riddle comes up and basically says, we're going to fuck this with you right up. What well, can't it be? Oh, you've rolled a six and a one. Here's a fucking I agree. waterfall of chocolate milkshake and or whatever. If we were making a board game, I'd I'd agree, but I think how does that play out in a movie? Like 
There's a where they get something good and they all have a cake. Uh, then yes, yeah, maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe. Like you like, know, Wonka does a Willy Wonka, Wonka, Wonka do that. Type, type thing. You roll whatever, and something no, brilliant happens. No, because everyone, no, everything that you think is brilliant in Willy Wonka turns out to be bad. If it was that in this, it, the game would have to play a trick on someone. Goes eat this cake, and then your head explodes. Or can't it be? I mean, Chris is the wordsmith, so isn't there a possibility that if you don't figure out the riddle in time, something bad happens? Uh, but if you figure out the riddle, something brilliant happens. Right. Like, what's the point of keep playing? I just don't. I don't know. I I like the fact that it's like every time they roll a dice. I'm on I, the first time I saw it. I was on tenterhooks. I'm like, what is it going to be this time? And if it was like. Uh, you get a gold coin that you can spend in a vending machine. Like, I'd be like, <laughs> and, and that is what? The, the... would it be a vending machine that like a treasure chest? <laughs> then just rubies and diamonds would fall out of it. And the premise is that it's a bad game, though. That's the thing. It's like an evil game. It okay. happened to these people in 1869. It's happened in 1969. It's happening again in 1995. So it's a horror film, effectively. It's not a good in fact, I, I did read it read as an alien invasion movie, basically. Well, that talk, was that was Zathura, wasn't it? But talk no, but but if you see the creatures, they, they could be aliens. Oh, I see, yeah. You know, they, they might not be animals. They're they're in a, a made up jungle. I was reading about these two these these two stories. Hook is portal fantasy, yeah, uh, like Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where you go to another world, uh-huh. and this is intrusion fantasy, yeah. where that world comes, comes to, to us. Yeah. Whereas the Jumanji remake is portal fantasy, exactly. Exactly. I never knew about these two terms. That's really interesting. Anyway. Anyway, um, I was so desperate for something good to happen to them that when there was a monsoon in the house, I thought, ooh, uh, water park. Because no one takes the opportunity to, like, slide down the stairs. I saw that. And considering that, you know, uh, the... Hook is like based on Disney's theme parks and so forth, like Pirates. Oh, easy Disney boy. <laughs> yeah, get I wouldn't know. Would you like to come? I really would. Yeah, you got a pass. Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, I actually think there should be a Jumanji ride somewhere because it would be incredible. That bit where the water comes down yeah. the stairs, I'm like, fun, amazing, uh, amazing. Um, and then in place of an act two low point, there what happens is it, they just kind of fucking throw everything at it. So then you've got spiders mm. made of balloons and quicksand that's not quicksand and a mm. crocodile. And then the house splits in two. And I think they do. I think um, it all gets a bit much at yeah, this point. They've raised the stakes so high. Yeah, yeah that I, I've can't, my brain can't actually compute what I'm seeing on no. screen. And I think it's weird. I, I think the opposite. When it splits in two, I just wanted like, the Mummy Returns, where there's loads of hands reaching out of the wall mm. trying to drag him down, or lava or something. You just don't see what is below him at any point. I'd oh, like yeah. to have seen I was that. more excited about how they shot that. They actually built the house, shot everything with the house as one, and then literally chainsawed the house down the middle. Wicked. The full-size house, and then shot all those scenes. They did it for real? They did it for real, and it looks amazing on when you see that on the behind the scenes. More fun than this. That is cool. Um, and then um, Robin Williams is facing Van Pelt, but he's rolled the right numbers or something, and he shouts Jumanji, and then... The bullet No, he says it quietly at first, doesn't he? He says Jumanji quietly. Why does he say quietly? Because he's sort of, he's in disbelief that he's ended the game. Oh, oh, that's nice. That's really nice. Um, And then we have a very strange coda where we go back to the 60s, and Sarah and Alan remember what's happened to them, but the last 26 years, or the next 26 years, have not happened. Yes. Yeah. Um, was I it's the only strange. person who saw that and just thought, you've got to live those 26 years again? 
that made me feel so tired. No, because they are starting to forget. They make a point yeah. of going, quick, I want to quickly kiss you before like I forget that I was once an adult and all that. Yeah, but it yes. does raise weird questions. Like, so how do they they're not going to the forget. Yeah. Um, but they are. But they don't forget the kids. That's so. the yeah. weird thing. That's yeah. the problem. Yeah. Because they are going to forget. So unless they immediately went home and wrote down that information, oh, actually, no, because when the kids turn up, they're like, there they are. Yeah. They recognise them. Yeah. And, they, and rem- they remember to stop the kids' parents from going on holiday. So I think they remember everything. So they have to spend their whole childhood with the memory of 26 years That's of adulthood. That's such a weird moment, though, because Kirsten Dunst and her brother and her alive parents turn up and they're like, we were going to go skiing in Canada. And they go, no, don't do it. And then that's like, oh, that will stop them from doing it. But this is the thing. Look what I've written down. This is my last thing. So wait, they change the future because they've been in the game. Yeah. It's a fascinating question. It turns it into Back to the Future. Yeah. It does too. I've written down Back to the Future. And actually, the other thing I wrote down was It's a Wonderful Life because that follows this same template of it being relentlessly grim mm. for, for 90 minutes. And then you get this really joyous reset at the end. And they're even playing Heart the Herald Angels Sing, yeah. which is what they play at the end of It's a Wonderful Life. So I think that was an homage. But it's that, it's that, it's that sort of 10 minutes of joyous reset. It's just, I guess, in this film, you've got lots of fun action fantasy, whereas It's a Wonderful Life, it's just relentless misery. Uh, quick show of hands, just before we move on to the bits. Did uh, young Alan Parrish sound and look exactly like a young Jodie Foster or not? <laughs> Well, he he was in her directorial debut, Little Man Tate, I believe. Oh, really? I think so. I, I'm I'm drawing this Which, out from the back of my wow. brain. Wow. Well, the, that throws in a bigger question about where the Jodie Foster reproduces by mitosis. <laughs> <laughs> he's a, he's a, he's a he's a good little actor, that lad. Though he yeah. actually did seem like a young Robin Williams to me as yeah. well. Um, but yeah, so I I like the reset. I like the reset button. I mean, it's a very weird ending. Yeah. But it's also quite a happy ending. It just raises a, a few too many un, unsavoury questions. Yeah. Like they're over familiar with these newly unorphaned kids. What are those kids think? Why are, these... why are the parents like, why can't you stop touching my children, please? Why do you care where I go skiing? <laughs> but this was, I mean, this was a huge hit, this film. Yeah. So I'm surprised there wasn't at the time a Jumanji 2. Jumanji? <laughs> Jumanji 2. Jumanji 2. Jumanji 2. I like the vegetables. I'm, I know what I'm you're trying. trying. Oh, I can see you trying, but what? <laughs> like, it doesn't really work. No, because... Don't it, let Jum- him put you off. Jumanji Jum- 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 2. Um, Jumanji 2? Because what happened is weird. Like, 10, 15 years later, we got Zathura, which mm. was a wholly unconnected movie. But very good. It's a really good film, Zathura, that did no business. Yeah. And obviously that's because no one went, oh, is this a, related to Jumanji? Yeah. It wasn't clear. Because they set up a sequel at the end of it, don't mm, they? They do. The, the, this board game washes up somewhere else. Of course it does. They'll just chuck it in a fucking river. Yeah. Like, if you're going to get rid of something, Burn set it. it on fire. Thank you. I bet you can't. I bet you can't. <laughs> I that. bet you can't, though. I bet you can't. I mean, where do you end and I begin? It's like we finish each other's... Don't crime scenes. Crime scenes. <laughs> I really don't see. They didn't show the scene, but I, I would believe that you can't destroy Jumanji. I think Jumanji is forever. Okay, let's do the bits. Uh, your MVW, Alex. Um, my MVW is Jumanji. <laughs> um, it's genuinely the game. I love this game. I love the fact that it's basically a sentient game. And all these creatures that come out of it and Van Pelt, they're all just puppets of the game. The game controls them. And I don't think it's explained. And I like the fact it isn't explained. Mm -hmm. But this game is an intelligence. Or if it's not, then this game is being controlled by a 
X intelligence. And I think that's there's a menace to that and there's something exciting. And yet it plays fair. So it's not just a killing machine. It has a rule system that it has to abide by. There's a lot about that game that I love and I love its design. I think it's a great prop. Also, Bonnie Hunt. Thanks. Um, you were talking about how dickish the guy was who told Alan that his parents, well, told them, told him where to go without telling him that they were dead. And I agree with you. But there's another dickish guy in this film we didn't uh, mention. So my MBW is the animal control guy who tells the children that some kid was murdered in their <laughs> new house for no good reason. He like absolutely him. terrifies these two children. What an asshole! <clears throat> He's my favourite. Mm. Uh, um, Vicky, it's uh, Bonnie Hunt as Sarah. Mm. Her face makes me feel safe. And that is all. Oh, wait, if we're doing... Let's do a couple more of her killer lines because uh, she's got so many in this movie. Uh, I like the bit where she says, don't ever call me crazy, Alan. Ever. I like that bit. Okay. That was, I thought it was better when I, I, I wrote it down. <laughs> I like, um, just ignore him, honey. He's a Libra. Well. Oh, that's nice. That's, that's better. Um, can we also mention one other MVW? Because, well, we've mentioned him on the show so many times, and I think here he does possibly some of his greatest work, if not his most prolific in one film, and that's Frank Welker, who oh, does the animal noises. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know. Yeah. Friend of I the mean... show, Frank Welker. It's unbelievable, isn't yeah. it? Every week we pick a Welker film. I want to find out just how rich Frank Welker <laughs> is because he is credited in nearly every movie we've talked about in some capacity. Anything that has an animal of any kind in. And sometimes inanimate objects like a fridge door opening. Frank Welker did that. The man <laughs> is ubiquitous. He is. Uh, what was your best scene, Chris? So um, I can remember as a kid, with Hook, it was the director, the poster, the cast got me in the cinema. With Jumanji, it was the trailer. I remember this trailer so vividly um, with the stampede through the streets. And remember how spectacular that was in the trailer and actually watching that scene, I've got to put my, myself in the shoes of those times. Um, it was truly spectacular. Like you'd never seen anything like that before in a cinema, and so I'm sticking with that scene, even though it is slightly dated with mm. the with the effects now. Okay. Uh, monkey with a gun or fat rhino? <laughs> I'm similar to you. It's Lilith in the car doing her self help tape, and then the Animal Crossing, and then the late rhino, the late fat rhino, and it sort of looks back like, oh god, I'm yeah. so embarrassed. Yeah. Oh. And some of her lines, she reminds me of Lloyd Bridges in Airplane, saying, "I, I, I picked the wrong the wrong week to give up." Blue sniffing. Oh, yeah. She keeps kind of having these uh, panic attacks almost anyway. And what would you change, Alex? Uh, I would make more of the fact he's a child in a man's body because after the start where he goes, where are my parents? It's never really addressed. Like, he never... You never sort of get this sense of, like, he's, like, coming to terms with being like a child but being a man physically a man mm. but with a child's mentality you never see that he for the most of the movie you think he's just an adult you mm -hmm. don't ever remind you're not you're not constantly reminded he's a kid and also i do so think, you wanted it more like big well i think a little element yeah, of yeah, that yeah, would have sure. helped if it didn't overload it and also or make him a little bit like whoa world's changed in 26 years he's very accepting of like the fact that 26 years have passed and technology has changed uh, so it's either that or um when they walk <laughs> into the party at the end, I'd like Aunt Nora to have her guest house. It'd just be the next house along. Because she's the biggest loser here. She never gets to open that B&B. &B. Mm. What mm. could have been? There's no payoff for Aunt Nora. Uh, that's true. What about you? 
I think it's a bit uncomfortable nowadays watching the scene where Van Pelt goes to the gun store. Oh, I forgot about that. And having yeah. so much fun with, with buying guns and having a powerful gun and it's it's played for laughs. Well, also being sold it illegally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't think it needs that scene. He's fine with his big gun he's got already. He's fine, yeah. yeah, so I just... And, and they even make jokes about him being a poster worker. Mm. It's just all completely tonally off, oh, bearing in mind what's yeah. happened since then in the world. Vicky... Um, I would either, this is fairly unsophisticated, just lose the first 20 minutes. Um, it's too long. Sure. Or when they go back in time, they fix it so that trainers become a thing. Because otherwise... Yes! yes. <laughs> otherwise, where are our trainers? Friggin' trainers. Yeah. There is no you payoff got... to that. Yeah. yeah. And also... we didn't mention his character. His character is very funny. I yeah. don't think we talked about him much, but... Yeah. David Allen Greer. David Allen Greer. He, I somehow thought he became the mayor of like the tower. All, all That's the, Back to the Future. Oh. <laughs> mayor Goldie Wilson. And then I also thought that he, the trainer thing, he was like, you see him at the party at the end. Mm. Yes. But like, there's no explanation as, as to where, what he's been, how his yeah. life changed yeah. from yeah. becoming the He sheriff. should be wearing gold high tops, shouldn't he? Something yes. like yeah, that. Yeah, and, and be having a drink with Michael Jordan. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I agree with that. Cool. All right. Are you ready for a game? Yay. Yeah. Oh, Joe Johnson. Do you know what Joe Johnson's making at the moment, quickly? Shrunk. A reboot of Honey, I Shot the Kids. Oh, my God. Amazing. What? He's Rick got... Moranis is in it. No. Yeah. He's brilliant. got a lot of fun films from his past that we should um, delve into. Like Especially The Rocketeer and the first Honey, I Shot the Kids. I think yeah. they're both fun films to talk about. Yeah. I have a very soft spot in my heart, and I don't know why, for 2004's Hidalgo. <laughs> I really like you it. You can do that with Sahara on your bloody own. Ooh. Hidalgo. Uh, All right. Are we ready for a game? Yes. Uh, and this game is called Name That Game. <laughs> um, I'm trapping you in either a board game or a video game. I'm going to describe... She always does this. Sorry. I'm going to describe... The minute I did it, I knew you were going to get mad. I'm really Because wait, I'm even, I even addressed this before I finish my speech. I'm going to describe the scenario, then you have to tell me the game. As ever, I haven't gone obscure, Vicky. You've heard of all these games. And he's tested it with his Fright Fest friends. I have. <laughs> I tested it on the train, mm. and everyone got them super quick, not mm. to put you under any pressure. Okay. Number one. Alex is sliding down a slippery Snakes reptile. Snakes and ladders. Correct. Hidalgo. <laughs> uh, Princess Vicky is being held super prisoner by an ape. Oh, and King Kong, Kong. Donkey Kong. <laughs> Jeez. But also Super Mario Brothers. Hidalgo. <laughs> Why can't I have it? It's no, not. that's Peach, Princess Peach. No, but this is very specific. Fine. Because you hadn't got to the end. You've got to, he's avoiding huge barrels. He just got it right <laughs> before you did. Um, Vicky, you are in command of a big boat. Battleship. Vicky. Great one. Vicky, you are this game's referee and storyteller. Oh, Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. I don't even know what that is. Hidalgo. <laughs> he talks about it in his stand-up when he's going about the bloody briefcase. I always listen, but I don't know. You okay. are... Do you remember okay. Oh, God. <laughs> you are both real estate magnates. Monopoly! Yes. Oh, I spent loads of time on these descriptions and you're not hearing all of them. Um, the year is 1987. Alex and Vicky, you are both martial artists who have been karate. invited oh, oh, oh. to compete in a tournament. Oh, that international. That? No, international street karate. karate. <laughs> yeah, did you say street, street fight? fight. Oh. Yes. Uh, international karate is what I went for. 
I actually think there was a game called IK something. But it's what it was never going to be. That uh, it's three all right now. Oh, that's good. Uh, you're in a mansion. Someone has murdered. Clue. Oh, wow. Clue in America. <laughs> Hello, America. Tim Curry's in that. Tim Curry, everyone. Frank Welker. I'll go. <laughs> Vicky, you're addicted to pills. All you can think Operation. about is consuming those delicious pills. Alex, you're a ghost. And together with your ghost Pat friends. Yes! Yay! <laughs> I had fun writing that one. Um, this one is a porn film, as you are both royalty, commanding an army of knights, bishops, and pawns. Chess! Yes. <laughs> Um, Alex, you have some serious health issues. Operation. Operation. <laughs> Alex. Oh, my God. It is five all, and we've got one left. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, Vicky has wings and is super pissed off. Angels <laughs> by Robbie Williams. Are there songs in it as well? It's a famous iPhone game. Angry Birds. Yeah! Oh, my God. Well played. Yes! Oh, cue man on top of roof in the relic. No! (laughs) Well played, both of you there, though. Thank you. God, you could cut the tension with a knife. You You know, it means so much. And that was a great quiz. Well done, you, Chris. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Right, before we get on to the verdict, we have the Clash comments. So, um, in terms of Hook v. Jumanji, uh, Samuel writes in and says, I have one word, Rufio, um, which I think, you know, that represents what a lot of people think about this one. Um, Ross writes in and says, um, because of Hook, every time it snows, I open my front door and shout, it's snowing, then slam it shut just like two tools. And I always thank you, Hook, for being a great film. That's sweet. Um, and we have a question, actually, from Andrew, the final Clash comment. Um, who had the best cameo in Hook? His question is Glenn Close or Phil Collins, but you can have anyone, I would say. Glenn Close. Phil Collins. You're just being difficult because you lost the quiz. But I'm, fine. Being, I'm, I'm actually a bit worried about, because the amount of Clash comments that came in, um, for which film's better, mm. uh, Hook wins out against Jumanji. I think there was only one for Jumanji and a few, a fair few for Hook. Mm. So, um, so yeah, my cameo though. That is, warning. My cameo. I'm just you know, start looking under your car, me. <laughs> Gee, that's dark. We haven't we haven't done our verdict yet. It's a line in Hook. Sure, but Hook could yet win. Um. Uh, my cameo though is one we didn't mention. Um. Did you recognise the voice of the captain on the plane? Yes. Yeah. And who is it? Oh, no, I recognised it. I don't know. <laughs> on, in Hook. In Hook. It's a really good moment that I'd never noticed before. Tony Blair. It is. Um, oh, wait. Is it Ross Abbott? It's Dustin Hoffman as Captain Hook. So he is in oh, charge of that plane. Clever. From wow. earlier, because it's very recognisable, that voice. That's very good. so stupid. <laughs> yeah, he's controlling and watching them the whole time. It's stupid. Well, it's stupid because he doesn't then know he's grown up later in the film. It's stupid. Anyway, the friggin' verdict. I'll go. <laughs> you want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! Vicky, who is going first for the verdict? Uh, oh, it's me, isn't it? I've got you. to decide. Um, your movies, thanks, by so, the way. So, <laughs> uh, Alex, you go first, as we know which way you're going. Yeah, Jumanji's the best film because it's actually watchable and also I like it. And also Hook is an aberration and I loathe it. Uh, it's actually a film that made me depressed uh, by sitting through it. I, honestly, for a film that is supposed to in some way elicit a response that isn't wanting to smash my laptop to pieces, 
Um, oh, I was so just, wow. I was in a really bad mood after watching this, and that was directed at you, Chris, for giving it to me. But I've made my peace with the fact that, you know, this is a show, and, you know, obviously you had to give someone it. But I sort of wondered what I'd done wrong that Vicky had done right, that she got Jumanji and I got hooked. That's get- how much I hated it. We're getting another verdict tantrum, aren't we? No, I'm being cool this time because, you know, it's not my choices next week, so I don't get to ruin you by uh, <laughs> making you watch uh, House of Wax again. But no, look, I just really, really, it, I struggle with what the hell Hook is uh, mm-hmm. to the and, point. And that, who it's for, maybe. Who it's for, why it exists, why it's a sequel to a movie that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. There's a billion reasons why Hook is a flawed film and uh, all of them are very apparent. So Hook is the worst film. I'm picking Jumanji as our winner. I do. I mean, I agree with a lot of what you have uh, stated repeatedly. Um, (laughs) And I do think Jumanji is the better film, but... Oh, oh. (laughs) but... (laughs) Now you get your tantrum. (laughs) Let's hear it. This is... I'm a grown woman and I'm going to state my case quickly and reasonably. And it is that there is just too much... um, I have too much affection for the film and I can't disentangle my emotions from being a child and watching it. And Dustin Hoffman is phenomenal and so is Maggie Smith. And I have to pick Hook for those reasons. I was not expecting that. No, me neither. Wow. I mean, honestly, I'm going to be cool just in case you're worried. You're going to hit me. <laughs> just in case this looks like I'm preparing a missile. It's not. <laughs> like, not an actual missile. Not with a warhead. I just meant like some, a projectile is what I should have Or said. like a zinger. Like, like a, an no, no, insult. No, no, no. An actual physical projectile. Like, right, you know, if I sort of rolled something up. Like, like a, a boy. <laughs> Rolled a boy at me. Yeah. <laughs> if, I, if I found some hilarious paint darts or whatever, <laughs> blowpipe that fires sludge at you. So. Hidalgo. Um, I think turning the Peter Pan story into a tale of daddy issues removes a lot of the magic from it. And I find those Lost Boys intensely annoying and those artificial, artificial sets weirdly oppressive. And Jumanji is also about daddy issues, but I think it, it has a bit more fun with its premise. Um, I do think it's diminishing returns uh, when it's up in the ante in terms of the effects. And I did find that really exhausting come the end of the film. Um, but it has the heart and soul, I think, that Peter Pan is is lacking. So um, hook, line and stinker, I'm going for Jumanji. Woo! <laughs> Hidalgo! Jumanji. <laughs> hey, well done, uh, everyone. I'm pleased with that result. <laughs> I thought you made a good choice, Chris. Although I think you'll have disappointed a lot of people because sure. I think Hook still carries uh, a lot of weight for a lot of cinema fans. I do appreciate that. The I, right age. We all came to these with mm-hmm. open minds. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. No, there's only one winner for me. I agree. Uh, So that's that. Uh, Victoria, uh, as way of compensation, although it would have been this case anyway, your choices are (laughs) next week's films. What are you picking? I am giving you, Alex, Bird Box. And I am giving you, Chris, A Quiet Place. Oh. Ooh. Ah. Exactly. (laughs) The first one. The first one. Okay. That's Mm. a great pairing. That's a good pairing.
Interesting. I really enjoyed Bird Box. Stop it! I really enjoyed a quiet place. (laughs) Parity. Parity. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, we are on Twitter at ClashPod. Uh, Use hashtag ClashComment if you want to be angry about the fact that Jumanji beat Hook. Or, conversely, if you agree with me, and indeed Jumanji is a better film, uh, hit us up on there. Also, please do rate and review us and subscribe to us at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back in a week for some Quiet Place versus Bird Box action. Bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production.